This is the Voices of Misery podcast. This show isn't for the easily offended, so PC Police on Patrol stand by. You've been warned. Now, let's join the nerd and nerdette with another podcast for that ass. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, and I am one half of the dynamic duo of the nerds. My other half is on assignment. We actually just recorded today, and I her ass out. So what do you do when you don't have a host? Arakoha, you call in two of your good friends, and ladies and gentlemen, this is unprecedented. This is the first three-time guest on the Voices of Misery podcast. He is the pastor of disaster, the sinister minister. He is John Enright, and of course... I called in a very good friend of mine, the greatest religion of all time, Mormonism, and I do love her to death. She's a great woman. Miss Bonnie Renee at Lover of Romance on Twitter. How are you guys doing? I'm good, man. I'm about to pop a Topo Chico that with a twist of lime to get this mm. started. There we, there we go, man. He's, he's I, I'm doing the- great. I have my uh, cup of postum, so <laughs> it's Mormon coffee, basically. <laughs> It's probably like whorehound candy. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. So I appreciate you guys are both coming on today because this conversation came out of a conversation we had a couple of days ago on our Discord channel, which you all can get in on if you hit us up on at Voices of Misery on Twitter. You can get into the Discord channel and enjoy the chat. And we had a conversation the other day that got a little heated. Not really, but you know, like we always respect each other's opinions, but... We were talking about abortion and, and, and politics and things like that. And after a while of conversation, I'm like, hey, let's stop talking. Let's save it for the podcast. So I appreciate you guys for coming on and talking about, a, you know, a really interesting topic that most people won't touch. So thank you. Yeah, man. I'm good for it. Even though you guys are both wrong, I'd love to have this conversation. And okay. there's well, there's also a lot of things that I do want to talk about, too. Not just that, but before we get into the deep diving topics and before we hit the hard hitting topics, I want to ask you guys, how are you guys doing in quarantine time? I haven't talked to you since before this, and I do blame both of you for all the bad luck in my life lately. Every time I have one of you guys on, it seems like within a week, something horrible happens to me. So what's going to happen next? Well, no, as I've already said in the chat, which, by the <laughs> way, go to the chat, go to the religious section, and you can see this confirmed. Two things. First... We have already talked about it. it's sabotage, like the Beastie Boys say, self-sabotage. Second, <laughs> I am going to put this right here right now because I know you're going to forget. You said a million downloads. I'm coming over to South Carolina, and we're performing a wedding ceremony between you and the Nerdette. I'm putting it on record right now. You okay. said it in the chat, and I'm going to put it on record right here. So We are well on our way. We are well on our way. So, Bonnie, I want to ask you this question, okay? Okay, go ahead. So we just had a podcast, what, about a month or so ago we, we had our conversation? 
Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been that long ago. Yeah, and uh, so I, I want to ask you this question. So how has your time been in quarantine? Because you handle everything with a grain of salt. You're very positive all the time. How has your time in quarantine been? You know, I'm lucky. I'm very blessed um, because I I live in the great state of Utah, and our governor is very pro-Constitution. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of measures that pretty much the rest of the country have had. And so, you know, some things like stores, certain stores closed down and things like that. Um, Salt Lake City shut down for maybe a week, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're on stage two right now. We're hoping to be on stage three in like about a week or two. So, you know, we're right behind Alaska on a lot of things. So, uh, it's, it, it's been good. I mean, my parents, they have taken this really great cause they are very, um, they have certain health conditions that if they got it, I, I don't know <laughs> what would happen to them, but you know, they still go out and do things. They, we still live our lives. We still get together as a family. You know, um, my life hasn't really changed all that much except for working a little bit less. But that's really, really it. I mean, I, I can't go to church. I haven't gone to church in two months. But, and that sucks. But, <laughs> but you know what? We, I've been going over to my parents' house every Sunday to, you know, do the sacrament and to you know, sing hymns and have church Sunday school at just at my folks house. So it's, you know, it's, it hasn't been that bad for me. I've, I've been very lucky and blessed to live in the place that I do and to be surrounded by great people. So what about you, disaster pastor? How you doing, buddy? Oh man, we Texas, we don't, we don't have no shutdown, man. It's been good. You know, I mean, I was essential. So I was working every day. Uh, so there's that. And then, um, you know, I mean, when we were in the middle of the shutdown, I drove and go saw my parents in East Texas, you know, three hours away. I mean, it was whatever, man. Uh, you know, uh, so, I, I mean, we've got, we're at like 50% for our restaurants. I mean, everything's pretty much open, you know, it's not, I don't know, like to me from, and of course our county, I mean, I live kind of more rural. And in our county, we've got 35,000 people. We've had, um, I think, uh, they've done so many tests, but only, uh, it was something like 15 people tested positive and one died, you know? So it's not a big deal. Uh, I don't think, like, at least in our area, it hasn't been. You've got Dallas, and they freaked out, and they've, as they usually do with their liberal agendas. And then you've got Fort Worth, more conservative, and they've kind of, kind of, not really shut down, but they've kind of, you know, uh, limited some options. But, you know, living in, in the Metroplex where you've got two cities that are completely uh, dichotomies of each other, it's interesting to see how they work, um, you know, with Dallas being more liberal, uh, Democratic, uh, and Fort Worth being conservative and more Republican, you see how, you know, they reacted and the difference between the two. And, and really, honestly... You know, it seems like Dallas is worse off for it for, uh, between the two. You know, it just had that that small dichotomy looking at it. You go, OK, well. It looks like Fort Worth was smarter, you know, in that in that process. So I don't know. You know, for me, it's just been putting my head down, keep going, doing what I do and, uh, you know, figuring it out from there. 
So no biggie. No, it makes sense, man. And I really do envy where you guys live because I live in South Carolina, man, where people can buy assault rifles and then buy liquor at the next door over. And down here, it feels like we kind of lost our balls, man. And like they shut down so quickly, so succinctly, and people are just out of work down here. And this is a very poor area. I mean, like Myrtle Beach isn't known for being very glamorous. And it just really infuriates me. But you did bring up one word that I want to get Bonnie's thoughts on first. The word essential. I feel like it's very unconstitutional to tell people what is right and what is wrong as far as like, hey, this is your way of living. But you're not essential. So we don't need you. Stay home. Go broke. And rely on this $1,200 check that we're going to give you. Now, I just feel like it's, it's just wrong. And I hate the fact that the government is deeming people basically worthless. And there's an episode of The Twilight Zone. I don't know if you guys ever watched that series. There's an episode where they call you obsolete. It's called The Obsolete Man. It's a great episode. If you never watched it or don't like black and white shows, check out The Obsolete Man. It's a great episode where basically they have this council and they tell this man that he's he's not needed. He's obsolete. And they kill him. And there's another guy that comes on, played by Burgess Meredith, who was Mickey from Rocky. And he comes on there and he basically plays the game against them. And I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a very good episode. And I kind of feel like we're headed down that path now. So, Bonnie, I want to ask you, how do you feel about the word obsolete and just essential and being deemed essential? How do you feel about it? Because I hate it. Um, I think every if it if it pays your bills, if it feeds your family, it's essential. So. Yeah. I mean, it's all essential. I mean, you can't just force people into their homes and force people not to work when they want to work and just just think it's going to be okay and nothing's going to, I mean, there's going to be fallout from that. And so, you know, with how all the reaction to it is a lot of people forget that there is something called the Constitution and pretty much all a lot of procedures and a lot of the things that they've put in play is are elements of, you know, like socialist and communist regimes like Stalin and Hitler that did the same things. Hitler did it in Germany when there was a pandemic of the flu. Guess what? He created fear and panic and he, he started tracking people's movements. He started you know, forcing them not to go to church and not, they couldn't go to church. They couldn't go to work and they had to stay in their homes and little by little you, you lose your freedom. And that was his plan and not saying the same thing's going to happen here. But what I see is just, we just lose our freedoms and government is really bad about giving your freedoms back. And it's going to be a fight to get, to get back our freedoms again. I agree. Disaster pastor. How do you feel, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's uh, you know, how how do you determine what's right? I mean, you know, our, I think our economy is essential. I think um, maintaining uh, a strong workforce is essential, and the fact that you have 37 million people who are unemployed, uh, that to me uh, it, it is not showing how strong our economy can be. I mean, let's let's be honest of of all the countries that got hit with this, uh, our economy took the biggest hit. And um, despite what people say, I know we're not the best, but we are a leader when it comes to world economy. And 
when our economy takes a hit like that, which is borderline depression era level um, situations, then it becomes a cause for concern, you know? And so it's at that point you get, do, how do we determine what's essential? You know, so, uh, you know, a grocery store is essential and I can go stand in there and, and, or, or fast food restaurant or, or these kind of things, but I can't go camping, you know, mm-hmm. in the outdoors, you know, I mean, that, that, I mean, and now it's like, you know, people are trying to determine these things of what's what. And, um, you know, and so they're saying, oh, you can't go camping um, because it's not safe, but you can go to the grocery store. It, where's the logic in that? I mean, the common sense aspect, you know, and I mean, look at California. California is all Oof. over the place. They are so, I mean, they said three month quarantine still from this date. I'm like, are you kidding me? If I was a citizen of California, I would just throw my hands up and be like, I'm done. Why you want to live there? I don't know. Um, their rights are being trampled on. I mean, it is ridiculous. The things, and then they, they're saying all kinds of things that are contradictory, you know? Um, and that's the issue is that nobody is thinking through. They're, they're, they're reacting and they're not responding. There's mm-hmm. a difference between, and my dad likes to say, there's a difference between responding and reacting. And unfortunately, with this situation, people are reacting and not responding. They're not thinking about the long term. They're thinking about the here and now. And let's be honest, they're thinking about themselves and not thinking about the whole good of the community, even though they want to say they are. If they really are and they stop and think about it, they would have really thought about some of these choices they would have made. That would have been for the good of the community, and they're they're not. They're thinking, they respond, they're reacting, and thinking of themselves. That's the true decision making process that our leaders have had, and um, and they're catering to uh, the fear mongers. And so, therefore, you know, if 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 we're being honest, this is something that is going to take a while to recover from. And you know, it's 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 the not the getting back to normal, whatever that is kind of thing. It's the financial and economic recovery. That's going to be the thing that is going to be super hard and long to come back from. Um, I mean, because, you know, for example, with me, with my job, you know, I just had to do quarterly numbers for our job. Um, January, February, March, That January, February was fine. March, we lost half of March. So the, the next quarter, I'm going to lose April and May. That's funding that I could lose from the government because of their decision. You know, I mean, they've said, you know, hey, we're going to take into account that you haven't met for two months with the, you know, two and a half months with the whole COVID thing. But still, you know, the way the government has been reacting instead of responding, that's two months of funding. And that's two months of help that I haven't been able to provide people that need help. You know, Um, and the only way I've been able to provide help um, is we have churches in the area who are providing food on Fridays for the families that of our program so that they can have food over the weekend because everybody's great. Oh, hey, here's food for the week. But they just cover the week. They don't think about the weekend. And mm-hmm. so we've been able to provide meals for families um, in our for the kids in our program and their families for two months, thanks to a church, because they're like, hey, we want to take care of this. We want to do this. I mean, it ended this past Friday because it was two months and things are starting to open up and get back to going. And so, um, but, you know, what would have happened to those families um, who are struggling as is? 
you know, I've got a family, uh, another church contacted us. We've got a family. The mom worked for the school ISD. Her paycheck went from $1,000 a month to $128. You know, how was she supposed to take care of three kids, pay bills, keep her house, things like that on that money? You know, and so this church stepped in, is paying their utilities, is handling some other things. But there are tons of people like this because our government and our institution are not responding there reactive. And that's, you know, we need to hear more stories like that because all you see in the media now is death, 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 death. They all they want to talk about is how many people are dying from this thing. They don't want to talk about how many people recover, how people are suffering because the economy shut down. But Bonnie, I want to get your response to this because I kind of feel like we're on the same wavelength with this. And I know John is too. And maybe I made a mistake by having three right wingers on one show because I kind of feel like <laughs> the kind of different, you know, like like a different opinion here. But but Bonnie, let me ask you this, and and, and then John will go to you. Do you think they're going to do this again? Do you think the government, because they got this sense of power, they got this taste that they can shut us down any time they want? And I'm of the mindset that this is a, a plot against Trump. I mean, what has Trump always talked about? The economy, how great the economy is under his regime. And what did they do? They killed the economy by jumping on this pandemic. And I just really feel like they're going to do this again. That's why I, I, I sold out and got a, a quote unquote essential job. Um, do, you, do you think this is going to happen again, Bonnie? Do, do you think they're going to try to do this whole shutdown again before the election? Before the election, yep. <laughs> um, if they claim that there's a second wave, then yes, they're going to try to do it again. And this is where this is where we step in and say, no, I am not for a tyrannical government. This is why we have the Second Amendment. You want to know the real reason we have the Second Amendment? This is why. When you have government officials trying to take all your freedoms away and there was no there was no reason to even shut down and most people don't even understand why we even shut down in the first place mm -hmm. it was to help the hospitals and the the medical community um from this outbreak it was not to prevent more loss of life not really it was to help the medical the the doctors and the scientists to you know help battle this virus that was the actual purpose of the lockdown. It was only supposed to be for two weeks. That's it. <laughs> it was not supposed to be for months. And so if, if they have this sense of power, they're going to go after it again and again. And this is where we got to stand up and say no. As Thomas Jefferson says, every now and then the tree of liberty needs to be refreshed with blood and, and revolution. So, uh, I mean... I don't think Texas is going to do it. You know, I mean, let's be honest, because we're Texas. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I think in Texas, for every person in Texas, uh, there's two guns for every person in Texas. Uh, so, you know, I mean, not that I'm advocating armed revolution, but at the same time, we're seeing part of our issue right now. Um, people have been pinned up for longer than they were told they were going to be originally. And then that is fueling some of these issues that we're seeing with these protests and that are turning into riots. People are frustrated. They yeah. are angry. Um, I mean, I think part of the issue 
we're seeing with some of these things, um, yes, is a systemic race issue, yes. But at the same time, I think the powder keg is people have been locked up for so long that they are frustrated with that on top of everything else. And it just, you know, when you're already hacked off, just the smallest thing will just set you off. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, like, I understand the need to protest. Trust me, I get it. I mean, I even understand that why people in Minneapolis riot. Uh, for, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% for it. I mean, I understand why they did it. They feel like this is what they need to do. I don't condone it. What I don't understand, I understand even protesting in other cities. I understand why last night people in Dallas rioted. They set fire to police. There is nothing done. We have, Dallas has a black female chief of police. And yeah. I, I didn't know the, that. Yeah, she was out there last night talking to protesters and people were throwing rocks and bricks at her while she was talking to protesters. And they started looting, well, not looting, but they, they damaged the Dallas police vehicle and she's trying to talk to people, and this is going on. Why? You know, it, it makes zero sense. I mean, we had the issue a few months ago where a white female police officer walked into the wrong apartment and shot a black man. She was fired. She was arrested. She was tried. She went to prison. You know, so what's what's the issue that you're arguing? I don't understand. You know, that's my issue. Um, you know, I... I, I want some clarity. If you can explain it to me where I can understand um, why you took those routes, then, you know, then help me understand. But I'm not saying don't even protest in other cities. I get it. There's, you know, systemic racism all over the place. But the issue becomes when you do these things, it lessens your point of view. You know, whether you're upset about the COVID and you go and you storm, you know, uh, like in Michigan, when they stormed the 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 government house uh, the uh, their I guess capital building with armed rifles you did yourself no good in that situation you know violence does no good to strengthen your point of view and people are like oh what about the Boston Tea Party you know great okay yeah so we did that we were terrorists if we lost we would have been screwed we just got fortunate to be on the right side of history in that aspect um, you know to me the more uh, the more uh, not the more uh, effective protests, Martin Luther King Jr., um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, those have had more lasting and resounding um, effects on us than anything riots have done. Because it's never about the issue. It's about look what happened. And the issue gets lost in that situation. Whereas if you have a peaceful protest and something, somebody reacts poorly to you, your issue is even proven more like we saw with Dr. King, where he was arrested or poses return on him. You know, to me, it goes, look, this is proving his point. He's doing nothing wrong and treated less than. And that was the whole point he was talking about, you know. And so that's where I think, you know, a lot of this, the government will step in. Um, If they try to, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, it's not going to be pretty. Because a lot of people are going to say they're going to remember this and they're not going to want to deal with it again. And they're going to say, nope, this is enough. We're not dealing with it. I just don't understand where you're doing something to help people out, but they don't look at the bigger picture. I mean, supposedly, and I do not believe this number, 100,000 people or so died from this thing. And and I really think that number is probably closer to like 30,000. I really think that the numbers are inflated here. I don't believe them. 
you put 40 million people out of work, and there's an interesting number out there where they say for every 1% of unemployment rates, the suicides go up by 30,000. So who are you really helping here? I mean, you're, you're, you're basically getting slapped in your left face, you know, like the left side of your face, and, and just despite the right side. We're not helping anyone here. But, Bonnie, I want to get your, your, your thoughts on this because I know you're, you're a big Trump supporter. I became one over time. If Donald Trump wasn't the president, do you think this happens under, you know, the, the guise that it is now? Do you think this happens if Obama got a third term and the Corona-19 thing came out? Do you think we shut down the economy? No, I don't. Because this did not happen for the previous outbreak. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. Yeah. And it infected 16 million Americans. And a lot of the deaths that happened from that were mostly kids, but they didn't even think about shutting down schools. Like yeah. it was hardly, it was, it wasn't even in the news that much. And so it's like, I really think that they just use anything to, to just make it so political and make it just, they hate him so much. And I don't know why, um, but they hate him so much that they will use anything to to destroy him or try to destroy him and so it this would not have happened if there was if if there was obama or if there was just someone else there it it wouldn't because it didn't happen like eight years ago so why would it you know i really think this is all political i really i really really do it's sad we're caught in the crosshairs it's it's just it's not fair um, John, what do you think about this, bud? Well, I'm I'm a common sense guy, so I'm not a Trump supporter, but I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm kind of independent, you know. That's I'm a fair. common sense guy, you know. Um, and so for me, uh, it goes back to the fact that, um, you know, first of all, it can't be a third term. That's that's what the you know amendments mm-hmm. uh, have have stated protect us from that. But I think at the end of the day, you have to look at everything is politically motivated, you know? Um, so with H1N1, as I said, you know, these issues weren't done. Um, and we're looking in, I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the 60 page CDC recommendation for reopening that, especially that involves the schools. Um, whoever came up with that needs to be beat. It is the most ridiculous document I have ever read in my entire life. What I are mean, some of the- <laughs> Okay, so, for example, they're talking about, you know, if there's only so many kids in class that could be there, they're going to stagger times so a kid won't get a full day of class. Um, they've talked about how they're going to stay in one class, and if they move, they move down one hallway one way, not another way, so there's no cross-contamination. Uh, there's going to be no food or cafeteria or meeting areas. It's going to be all, if you have food, it's going to be either you bring your own food or if there is food, it'll be packaged and contained and you eat in the room of your classroom. Now, in order to in- implement this, some places have said they will homeschool middle school and high schoolers so that they can get all elementary schools into a classroom in some way, shape or form, because there's not enough space to do this in the current situation. You know, I mean, those are just some of the, some of the things that are going on that it's it's completely ridiculous. I have to wear face masks. Can you imagine getting a kindergartner to wear a face mask for an entire day, let alone four hours? If you have the day and stagger it, uh, if you ride a bus, every other seat, 
you know, so buses, you're going to need double the to triple the amount of buses you already have, which is going to increase your, your transportation costs. Going to increase. Buses are notorious for breaking down. You're, yeah. you know, I mean, you're just your cost alone of running and do it is the most, once again, reactionary, not responding, not thinking aspect of this. And I mean, and then the problem is the CDC has said, well, you need to do this. No, well, do this instead. There's no consistency. There's no thought. There's this is changing. It's it is do this. All right. Face masks are good. Now face masks are bad. Now, mm -hmm. you know, they're effective. They're not effective. It, 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 if how am I going to have an organization like the CDC who plans this event, but yet they can't tell me a straight answer of what's good and what's bad because they keep changing their mind, you know? So uh, it, it becomes some of these things that you just go, all right, let's, let's brass tacks this. Let's have some common sense here and figure out what did we do when we have some of these other pandemics? Let's go with that. It worked last time. Let's do it again. You know, um, and, 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 and so therefore, we have to really look and think, uh, I think overall, no matter what, whoever was in charge, someone was getting screwed, you know, because this is a perfect vehicle to uh, limit freedoms, to uh, control information, to control um, the citizenship as best as you can, um, and to get your agenda out. I mean, think about it. People have been sitting for two months listening to the news that talks nothing about political agendas and talks about this virus and how terrible it is. The fear mongering and everything. I mean, having taken, you know, journalism class and, and broadcasting, my degrees in broadcasting, the things that we were taught was if it bleeds, it leads, sex sells. Those are the two things that the news always has because that is what people want to see. And it's just fear mongering. There's no, just used to, news was, you know, Walter Cronkite just telling you like it is. That's out the window. You know, that's gone. You can't trust a news source, whether it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Everybody has their own spin to things, you know. Even when, when um, you know, my dad used to like uh, Bill O'Reilly because it was that no spin zone. And I said, Dad, you realize him saying a no spin zone is his spin on things. He's, he's putting a spin on the fact that there's no spin. You know, he's not he's not Walter Cronkite just reading you the news. And my dad is like, whoa, really? And I said, yeah, sit down and watch it. And we did. And he's like, I never I didn't realize because people are so enamored. It's become an entertainment business, not a news storytelling business. You know, that is the issue. Um, and so it is it, it, this political aspect of everything, politicizing everything. Look, the stimulus package, it should have been easy. Very get, easy. Give people money to help them out because we told you to stay home. And so you're, we're going to give you this, period, end of discussion. Now, am I for printing money that we don't have to give to people? Mm -hmm. No. It's just increasing our debt. Um, of course, we need to balance our budget, which Republicans are notoriously bad at. Democrats aren't much better because we spend it in different places. Republicans in, in, in uh, defense and Democrats with social services. You know, um, we all, they, they, I mean, basically, we haven't had a balanced budget in forever. Um, that's a big issue. I'm not for that. But the government needs, has, should have said, our bad, we made you stay home. This is what you should get, period, end of discussion. 
but they can't because they want to put in their own bullshit. They yep. want to put in their own agenda. They can't just say, look, this is what the people need. No, it's 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 about me and this is what I want. This is what I need. And, and da, da, da. You know, um, that's that's become the issue. You know, uh, it's it's about the, the person and their politics, not the common sense of this is what we need to do. Unfortunately, you know, no matter what we talk about or see, there's an agenda. There's a politicization of something. It's not tell it like it is and let us figure it out for ourselves. Well, universal income was, I mean, if you break down the numbers, the $600 on top of unemployment was just fucking ridiculous. And I applied for unemployment. I didn't get it, obviously. Something, I don't know what the hell's going on there. But universal income for the Democrats, they wanted everyone to have $15 per hour. What's 15 times 40? 600. So it, it, it kind of feels like they are trying to get their own agendas in there. And they threw so much shit into this recent bill that got shut down by the Senate. They, I mean, I don't think they want to help us, and I am not, definitely not in favor of government handouts, but they owe us this money. They owe us a second stimulus. They owe us a third stimulus, because we've been shut down for three months. If you're telling me I can't work, you better give me some fucking money, because yeah. that's just the way it should be. But Bonnie, exactly. I, yeah, but Bonnie, I want to ask you this question, because I think you're going to give, I think we're all going to have different responses to this one. Do you guys want Trump in again? Because I like him as a president, but if we're going to deal with these ploys by the left and these horrible underhanded tactics to get their point across, I'm, I'm not sure if I want Trump back because I love the guy. I think he's a great president. He's done a great job. But if we have four more years of this and, and, and the left being butthurt and trying to hurt us because we're in the crosshairs, is it worth it? Can they just have their fucking way? Can they put that walking corpse Joe Biden in there just so we can have a peaceful four years of not being screwed with, having our lives taken away and the economy destroyed on purpose? How do you feel, Bonnie? This, it, it's too late to turn back the clock. What, what has happened the past three and a half years, it's too late for that. And it doesn't matter... It doesn't matter if, if, if Biden wins and gets gets elected or whatever, they're just going to keep going. It's not going to slow down. It's not going to stop. They have become so crazy and they are just bulldozing through it all. And it, it doesn't matter now whether or not Trump gets reelected, where they're going, the path they're they're heading down. It's, it's not going to stop. And it just won't. Their agenda is just going to become more and more crazy. And it's, they're just, I wish, I, I wish I could say that, you know, Biden being elected would make it stop, but it won't. Just the way that their mindsets are now, all their agendas that they want to put in, um, the way our economy is right now, I have to say this, we actually need him to be reelected. Because it's not going to, a career politician is not going to get our economy back. Mm -hmm. They're just, the way they think, the way they, they handle the economy and everything, it just, it, you need someone that's a non-career politician to actually do it. And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons I love Trump. It's because he's not, he's not the normal average politician that you deal with. He's, he's honest and he, he tells it like it is. And 
I think we need that. We need someone that can get our economy back and get us prospering again. I agree. I, I agree 100%. What do you think there, my friend? Well, um, I mean, the, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, unless, so a sitting president very rarely, if ever, has ever lost in a second term. Uh, Bush did, uh, uh, older Bush did, because there was a third party that interjected and took away votes. Um, Ross Perot, by the Clinton. Huh? Was it Ross Perot, the third party that time? Yeah, Ross okay. Perot, who was a conservative, you know, everything like that, just he was an independent, took so many votes away from, I mean, this is this is straight history. This I, I got this yeah. from um, an, a podcast listening called My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. I love it because the guy doesn't talk politics in the sense of, you know, Republican, he just looks at history and says, this is what history dictates. And so uh, Gerald Ford didn't run for a second term. So in that instance, that it doesn't count. He didn't lose a second term. He didn't run for it. Uh, very rarely does that happen. So first of all, the Republicans can't change who the person is in place because no sitting president has ever even lost um, a reelection bid. You know, they're sitting there and then somebody comes in and swoops in. Um, and then usually the party who's under doesn't necessarily always overcome the incumbent. The incumbent usually has the um, uh, advantage in this situation. So uh, if you look at it historically, uh, without looking at it from the fact of Biden and his dementia and Trump is just all over the place, um, you have to go, okay, advantage Trump right now so i mean yep. just based off of that um so if that's the case he's now in a second term you know he's a lame duck president he can do what he wants he can kind of go however he wants um because the thing is is what are they going to do you know they can't you know i mean sure the house can try to stall but let's go let's say the senate goes for stuff you know if you have enough uh you know support on something and don't go too crazy you can get stuff done. The problem is he's so far right that it, it alienates those people in the middle. The majority of people who are in, you know, government, majority of congressmen, both sides of the aisle are, are, are moderates. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. It's the outside rights and left, the alt-right and the alt-left that are making the most noise. The uh, Bernie Sanders, Cortezes and um, you know, cruises and those guys, the alt rights. Most are moderate. You know, honestly, what we need in this country is a third party who is moderate, who would listen to everybody and go, you know what? This is all stupid. We need someone in charge who who listens to common sense, who goes, you know what, this is this is not about an agenda. This is about what we need for our people. And not trying to, you know, well. We're Democrats, so this is what we believe in. No, it's it's about what works for our government and what works for our country. And so if we look at all this, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, I don't think Biden is a choice, honestly, um, that you can seriously look at and go, OK, this is a person who could do a good job. Career politician. I understand that. But, you know, mental facilities do not look like he's holding up. Um, compared, I mean, him and Trump are about the same age. I think he's a little bit older. He's a couple years, years older, yeah, like two years older or something. Like yeah, that. but if you look at them mentally, they 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 look night and day. 
and just yeah. physically, you know, just physically that when you look at them side by side, you know, uh, they look night and day. Um, the fact that the Democratic Party twice has screwed Bernie Sanders out of the election of his popularity and what went, being able to, you know, to, to make the choice. Then all of a sudden these these super PACs come in and they go, oh, we're going for the established, you know, guy. He's already been here. He's established. You know, why is Bernie Sanders a Democrat still? You know, that's my question. He's getting screwed over twice where the super PACs come in and override all these votes that he's uh, done and say, you know, we're throwing our our, uh, you know, uh, interest behind Biden because he's the established guy. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, you know, and I'm not saying Bernie has good ideas. I think they're they're off the wall. But if if we were truly a honest. We, we're not we're not a democracy, by the way, people like to say we're democracy. We're not. We are a republic. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah we, we know we're a republic. We're not a democracy. We have a democratic vote for the representatives. True democracy is one vote. One, you know, you know, one vote is one vote. We have a republic where we vote. And then, in turn, those electorates taken from our area vote for what the people supposedly voted for. Now, electorates can choose to rebel and, and vote against what the people have told them, which has happened. And so that's why you have to question your voting situation. And that's why people say, well, I don't vote, you know, because let's be honest, you know, if, if, it's, if we had one vote, one vote, if it was a popular vote situation, the elections might be different, but doing the electoral college, the reason why it exists is because it keeps places like New York City, Los Angeles, high density populated areas from controlling the the vote. And it allows places that are more rural, uh, Wyoming, North Dakota, places like that to have as much say in the government as some of these more densely populated areas. It kind of evens out the playing field. So people that want to complain, well, it should be a straight popular vote. Well, if you do that, you are going to have huge swaths of the country not represented um, with the, with their vote. Yeah. And so, you know, so 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 once again, this this I'm, I know I'm kind of going history lesson, political lesson. No, that's this is good stuff. The idea being that we were founded with the idea that everyone should have a say um, and everyone should have an opinion. And so in turn, what we see now is not our government that was founded. It's about people getting in special interest groups, getting their getting a hold of them, and they are no longer representing their district or the people they represent. They represent themselves and the money that these special interest groups come in. You know, I mean, let's be honest. How many politicians do you see go in and have more money when they come out. Oh, you know, so many. They, yeah, I mean, the president makes 144 a year. Mm -hmm. You know, the Congress is like 250, you know, for a senator. And I don't remember, you know, House of Representatives is less. But, you know, which, hey, if I made that a year, I could make that work. That's not a problem for me. I, you know, I know how to make money work. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, living on twenty five grand a year, I can make two hundred fifty thousand work. You know, not a problem. You know, uh, but we see what happens every time they come out as a politician. They have more money than when they went in, 
And it's because, once again, it's not about the people. It's not about the area they represent or what they want to say. It's about the special interest groups and the money. And you have to look at all that when people make decisions in government. You have to really look and say, what is the true purpose behind what they're saying and what they're doing? No one investigates this stuff. But, Bonnie, I want to ask you a question. Do you guys want to get controversial real quick? Because I want to ask you a question that is going to maybe come off to some people's ears a, a, a little wrong, but I feel like this needs to be talked about because I feel like the left panders way too much. And this is something that really struck a chord with me, being a Hispanic male. I mean, I was always told to vote Democrat because, hey, they only care about white people. And, and this is in regards to the Republicans. And like, that's how you were programmed as a kid. Of course, I grew up, I, I paid more attention, I plugged myself in, and now I came out the way I came out. This really bothers me. Um, the fact that Joe Biden came out and said that he is going to pick a black woman as his vice president. Why do you have to say, I'm going to pick a black woman? Why can't you say, I'm going to pick the best person for the job? And this is the kind of pandering that loses me with the Democratic Party. They are pathetic. And this is just one example of many. But this one really is something I wanted to get your guys' opinions on. Bonnie, we'll start with you. How do you feel as a woman to hear this in the media? Um, to me, it's, it's, just, it's just signaling the wrong message. Because when they say, you know, let's have a woman be president or let's have a woman be VP or whatever. And I am all for women empowerment and equal opportunities for both men and women. But it just it, it lowers the value of women, in my opinion, because yep. it's it, it, at least how I look at it, because it says I am only of value or worth for your own political agenda. And why can't we just say, let's just have the best person for the job. Why, you know, it's like for Hillary Clinton, they would tell women that they were not true women if they didn't vote for her. So I was not a true woman apparently because I didn't want to vote for her because she's a criminal. <laughs> let's be real, like she should have gone to prison. Like really, but you know, or let's say um, for blacks, if you didn't vote for Obama, you weren't black. Mm -hmm. Like, or, you know, it's this whole social pandering. And it's like, why can't we just look at each other as human beings? Yes. But we're not. You know, they put us in groups, women and men and black and, and, and Hispanic and, and white. And it's like, we're not all in groups, you know. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to, you know, for example, vote based on your skin color or, you know, that should not be how it should be taught. I mean, you see black conservatives, for example, get crucified because they will vote differently than how they've been told to vote. And that's not how we should look at it. We should look beneath the skin color of someone and look at what Martin Luther King, he would talk about this all the time. And so many people forget it. He, was a he would say he talked about look at the value of the content of character for someone instead of the color of skin. We have not gone past that. We have gone. We've gone back in time, I think, in in how we judge people 
society judges people based on their skin color now. And, you know, like they'll say, oh, whites have all this, you know, white supremacy and they're racist and they're bigots. And, and, and it's, that's not, <laughs> that's not the case. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that doesn't constitute that you're just, just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm racist. You know, um, we need to look beneath the surface and really see what's actually going on and how they're actually working the system to, to build votes. And I, that's just not how it should be. That's not what the founders wanted for our country. And that's not what some of the great, great Americans we've had have fought for. And, you know, it's not what freedom's about. I agree. It's all virtue signaling. And it's, it's, it's just not cool because they are pandering. And basically what they're doing is they're patting black people on the head and saying, OK, you'll get your turn because we are saying it's your turn. It's, it's, it's just not right. And John, I know you have some some opinions on this. So let's hear it, buddy. First of all, think about this. What what um, party uh, was for affirmative action? Democratic oh, Party. Yes. No, Democratic Party. The affirmative action was a democratic. Oh yeah. Um, yep, you're right. Uh, institution uh, that that was eventually passed, uh, but uh, the purpose for it being, hey, we need. I understand the purpose behind it because of our systemic racism of our country and because of Jim Crow laws and everything. Hey, no, um, people of different colors and different sexes need to have an opportunity to get the, the job that they want. You know, now placing mandatory, uh, you know, limits on, on, you know, you have to have so many people, uh, you have to have so many um, Hispanics, you have to have so many blacks, you have to have so many women. Um, now, that, qu- in, in that quota, it no longer becomes about the best person for the job. It becomes, a, you know, I mean, I've known people who were hired for this and they said, yeah, I'm the token black guy you know, or mm-hmm. I'm the token woman. You know, yep. I, how does that make a person feel? You know, I, I mean, I don't know if people, you know, I, I've heard people say, you know, I was hired for this, you know, because of this reason. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that they were the best person for the job. Now, should the best person for the job, yeah, should the best person for the job be hired regardless of uh, age, sex or, 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 you know, race? Of course. You know, that's how it should work. Unfortunately, it doesn't because people are stupid. People are racist, they're bigots, and they can't look past themselves. They can't go, well, I'm, I, I need to just look at the best resume. You know, I need to do whatever. So the government, in its ultimate wisdom of trying to be um, helpful, you know, put this in place. Now, uh, if it would have been, look, you need to start looking at other people uh, if you don't, if if we see in your history that this is happening, you're going to be fine. That's one thing. But to say you need to have this percentage of people to do your thing, you know, um, that limits a, a person. You know, it should be about the best person, and they, and they don't do that. So once again, Biden Biden is pandering to his base, to the established Democratic, you know, party by saying. Look what I'm doing. I'm fulfilling affirmative action. You know, it's it, look. I'm hiring. You know, I'm going to go for this person as my vice president. No, no, no. Just go for the best person. Yep. Who is the best person that you feel will help 
your image help your message go forward you know do this kind of thing you know um you know for for trump why did he pick pence because pence is a nothing i mean let's be honest you don't hear anything from him you don't see much from him because once again trump is a narcissist and is it about him um and so he he wasn't going to whoever he picked as vice president wasn't going to be someone you're going to see much or hear from much from that's why pence was picked and pence helped bolster that conservative republican side because let's be honest trump is more of a liberal republican if you if you really compare it he's not he's not as republican as most people are i mean for a long time he was a democratic supporter yeah he was a democrat back in the 80s yeah so let's be honest here he he had that fight against so in order to bolster the republican vote he had to have somebody who was conservative but also somebody who wasn't going to upstage him and so that's why pence was picked you know, that was the best person. He went for the best person for him to help supplement his message and to help get him over. Biden is going for his base, which is affirmative action, which says, hey, look, I'm going to pick. These are my criteria. This is where I'm going. And that's it. Instead of going, no, I'm going to find the right person for the job mm-hmm. and be able to do that. And so uh, once again, it's it's it, it, it demeans the person who gets that job. I don't I'm sorry. If you're telling me this is my criteria, this is I'm going to meet, I, they have to be a female and African-American in order to be my vice president. If that's the case and you get picked, how does that make you feel? Hey, I'm the vice president because the president limited his options to these things. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, to me, it, it's it's it, maybe they're the maybe they are a good person and they're smart and that's what they want to do. But. That has to be in the back of your head of going, well, at the same time. It's like, do I really deserve this? Do I deserve this? Because he he limited his choices to these things. You know, so uh, once again, everything is political. It goes back to looking at his, he's pandering to his base to show how Democrat he is so that he can have that surge of Democrats when it's time to go for election. Yeah, because people are programmed to think a certain way, man. And I just think it's complete bullshit because the fact that he said, I need a black woman, it, it's, it's just like, all right, so it's not a black male, it's a black woman. So you're even limiting your your options to just women and race. So it's, it, I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. But before we get to the topic at hand, because this is going to be a, a really heated conversation. I No, probably not, because we all love each other. I love you guys. You guys are both great. Um, and I only talk to people I care about. So you guys are, you know, multiple time guests on the show. You're the first three time guest. Bonnie's been Ooh. back time. And, you know, I really care about you guys. So I, I, I'm definitely going to appreciate the next conversation that we're going to have. But before we get there, how is your area handling this pandemic? Because here in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, you see cars in the road all the time. I've never seen social distancing. We go to the local Walmart and you have people outside that are holding these tablets and I guess they're they're supposed to be keeping count, but I don't think they're really doing it. You go into the store, you see people like on top of each other still. Like nothing's really changed. You might see a few face masks, but I haven't really noticed a, a, a change in lifestyle or habits. People are going to the beach. Nothing really changed here. How is your area, uh, you know, responding to this pandemic? Bonnie, we'll start with you. Um, it's been going really good actually. Okay. So, um, so. Like for Walmart, for example, 
it's gotten better. So now you can just you can just walk in. Now it used to be you'd have to wait in line, and they only allowed a certain number of people inside. Um, but now you just you just walk in. They have limited hours though now. Um, it's not like twenty four hours like it used to be. Um, most stores are you know implementing safety procedures um, like uh, social distancing and face coverings and things like that. Um, but most people are, you know, falling in line with it. They're trying to be safe. They're trying to, you know, um, make sure, you know, we help each other and protect each other, but they're not like, we're not, you know, going crazy. We're not like, um, a lot of things are opening up. We have, you know, our water parks are opening up again. Our amusement parks are open now. Um, all of our national parks are open here. Uh, people are camping. They're 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 going and doing outdoor stuff again. So you know things are getting back to normal, um, slowly, but it it's getting there. You know, so um, so for us, it's it's been pretty good. It's you know people are looking out for each other, but you know we're getting back to life here, at least for us. So you know we're doing pretty good here. I feel for people that live in other parts of the country that aren't. So. The whole camping thing is weird because you figure that's the most social distance you can possibly be is in a freaking forest by yourself or with your family. I don't understand why they shut that down. But, John, what do you think, bud? Well, it's Texas. So, you know, we. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. lucky. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, let's be honest, we never really shut down extensively. Yeah. There were some things that did get closed or whatever. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things of, uh, it, it's interesting because yesterday I drove two hours to the north of Dallas to go do a wedding. And then I drove down closer to Dallas to go see a friend of mine hang out. And uh, as I was driving, because uh, I'm taking blood pressure medication because my blood pressure spiked, uh, it makes me go to the bathroom more. So I had to stop and go to the bathroom. I went to a neighborhood Walmart by my friend's house. Uh, and, you know, the guy that was supposed to be checking, you know, he's just kind of standing there. He doesn't care. Um, but so many people in that area were wearing masks because it's Dallas. You know, they they were on lockdown in Dallas and you couldn't do it. And, and I'm just walking around like, hey, it's no big deal. You know, whatever. The wedding I did, you know, we, um, you know, we were, we, it was at a restaurant in a town called McKinney, north of Dallas on the square. And, you know, they kind of pared it down because of the whole virus, because of the last menu couldn't hold the people they wanted. So it was family or whatever. Nobody, I mean, nobody really wore a mask or anything, but the restaurant people, they had to wear masks. And then, and I was talking to one of the managers, assistant managers, and he's a really cool guy. He's like, yeah, I hate having to wear a mask. It makes no sense. You know, we're, we're, you know, if we're smart or whatever, we don't have to do it. And he says, the fact that my people in the kitchen have to do it, even though they're cooking food, that makes no sense. You know, I mean, gloves aren't going to help because you have to take them off every time you touch something. So mm -hmm. we're washing our hands all the time, you know, um, so, you know, talking to people there, it was just kind of one of those things of, once again, you look at Dallas, a more liberal, you know, democratic type uh, area. And then when I'm driving back, I stopped in Fort Worth, go to Madison, and very few masks. I mean, if we see masks, it's because they're older people and they're wearing them. It makes them feel like, hey, pull forward, go for it. You know, um, uh, but it's just people are out. You know, the Trinity River runs through Fort Worth and there's a great trail that goes along. People are doing that and they've been doing that. And there's uh, all kinds of stuff going on. So, um, you know, it, it, I think it's just a matter of 
um, really how people view it and, um, you know, just going, you know what, you know, if I'm, if I'm intelligent and use a little bit of common sense, mm -hmm. I am, I'm, I'm not, you know, I can do what I need to do. And that's the problem. People don't think they don't, they, 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 re they react and they don't respond. They don't think they don't go, well, this makes sense. Why don't I just do that? And, and a lot of times they put too much trust in what the government says and what they, what they, this is what you should do. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying ignore the government, but at the same time, let's really stop and think and choose some common sense. Okay. If I need to go to the store and do it, let's do it. You know, um, you know, like, but there's, there needs to be some common sense. Like, for example, I go to Costco once a week for stuff. Costco requires you to wear a mask to shop in the store. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's why I call it communist code. But, you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> but and pay them a, a membership fee, which is even more fucked up. But they can yeah. tell you what to do. Like, hey, I'm paying you for the privilege to shop in your store. Exactly. But exactly. So I walk, you know, you have to wear a mask to walk in that store. Now, I've been in that store for the last month watched them you know and their employees especially where i'm really where i really watch them is the people who run checkout so three weeks ago i go and and the person at checkout is wearing gloves and i watch him he does he touches all the other persons in front of me stuff <laughs> handles their money all that yeah. stuff gives it back to them and then comes up to me and says oh i'll help you and i was like uh no you can change your gloves now and he goes no i'm not going to do that I said, excuse me. That's I said, look, yeah, I mean, so I said, uh, look, if you're going to make me wear a mask in your store, then you, in all actuality, need to either change your gloves at least after every customer. I'm not going to say after every item you've touched, mm -hmm. at least after every customer or have hand sanitizer. You're a warehouse store. I know you have hand sanitizer. You at least use hand sanitizer after every customer. But the mask does nothing if you're going to touch with gloves all the stuff of everybody else and then touch my stuff. The mask yep. does no good. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. No, I'm not going to change my clothes. I mean, I, I was like getting into it with the guy and the manager comes over and I explain, look, if y'all are going to do this, this is the way you need to do it. I don't mind if you this is the rules you want to have, but you're half-assing it. You're not doing it all the way. This guy, I watched him. Lord knows how long he's had these gloves on. How many customers he's touched? I watched him touch the basket full of stuff with the other person. Well, you know, I said, but that other person put the stuff in the basket. How do I know they're not infected? Exactly. That does me no good. If they've touched all this stuff and it's as potent as it says, and then he used his gloves to touch all the stuff, and the guy goes, oh, well, you know, I didn't really think about it. You're right. You know, the manager. I mean, once again, people aren't. They are reacting and they're not responding. They're not thinking. And then so the next next week I go, same thing. The person who wants to load the cart doesn't, but the cashier does. So the cashier goes and they change gloves and they and I'm like okay. And then a week after that, I go and uh, my this time the first guy that I saw, he was there working again, but he didn't have gloves on this time. There was hand sanitizer. And then another guy, another one. I'm standing in line. Uh, I'm waiting, and then his line is empty. He's like, hey, um, you know, I'm open. I said, are you going to change your gloves? No, then I'm not going to go to your line. I said, <laughs> don't half-ass it. You're going to make me wear a mask. Yep. You're going to change your gloves. And, you know, it's that kind of thought process. It's it's the people who don't have common sense. They live in fear. They live in this just, well, well, uh, this works for me. 
I understand that works for you, but if you don't stop and really think, you're not doing any good. You're you're just I agree. keeping the thing going, you know. And so that's my issue. Um, I don't mind that people want to have, but there's other businesses. I mean, I you know, there's businesses who said, you know, don't wear gloves in my store because you're not doing any good. You're touching all the stuff, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's it should be once again let businesses choose how they want to do, let them implement whatever they need to implement. Because their business, you know, it's it's their choice to run it. And if that's the case, great. Like I said, I have no problem. They want me to wear a mask at Costco. I understand that. But let's let's be real with how we handle the situation. You know, um, now, should I have to at Costco? No, I'm paying them money to go shop at that store. Then across the street is Sam's Club. I go to Sam's Club and yeah, you don't have to wear masks, whatever. You know, you can go, you can do whatever. I mean, you're not, there's no limitations with Sam's Club. At all, you know, you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to, you know, wear gloves or whatever. I mean, of course, with Sam's Club, with their app, it's great. I can walk in, I can scan my items, pay for it on my phone, and walk out, and I've never had to go through checkout. I'm the only person who's touched any item, which was already in place before the pandemic, you know, in the Sam's Club app, where you can scan the items you need, swipe on your phone, pay for it with your credit card, and just show the person that you're walking out your phone, and they scan it, and off you go. That's the crazy thing about this whole thing is because everyone's got their own set of rules. I mean, like, just like you said, you can go to Costco, you have to wear a mask across the street. You don't have to. We need one standardized set of rules. And it, it, it this whole thing just fucking pisses me off and it boggles my mind because these are things that your parents teach you when you're a kid. Wash your hands after every meal. Brush your teeth. Do this. Do that. Just be a clean person. And now the government is having to tell us to do these things that we were taught when we were toddlers. I just don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. And it pisses me off. But Bonnie, my good, dear friend, I want to ask you. And then, John, I want you to take over, my friend. Where do you see us as a society with the rules and all these other regulations and bullshit? Where do you see us in January? Because I don't know. Like, I, I, I've been thinking about this. I, I know where I hope we are. I hope we're back to where we used to be, where you can go to a, a, a football game and have 60,000 people. You can watch a wrestling show with crowds. You can go to a comedy club and, and hug people. And I don't like touching other people, but this makes me want to hug people now. This makes me want human contact. And that's where I hope we are. But I don't think... Depending on how the election goes, I mean, I, I can go one of two ways here. If Donald Trump wins, I think we get hit with something else, something worse that the Democratic Party puts against us to make him look bad because they're going to be even more butthurt because this didn't work if he wins. If the Democrats win, just like Donald Trump Jr. said on Twitter, I think this goes away. I think they just, OK, we, we have a vaccine. Let's let's talk about people dying from real shit like obesity, cigarettes, alcohol. For some reason, that's fucking essential. Um yeah, like I'm getting fired up here, but Bonnie, where do you see us in January? Um, <laughs> so where do I see us? It really depends, and I think it depends on the American people. I really, I really, really do. Now there will be states like more conservative leaning states like Texas, Florida, Utah, Alaska, states like that that are, you know, they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna get back. They're going to open things up. People are going to get back to work. Things are going to get back to normal in a lot of ways. Um, the other states that are more strictly run by Democrats, they're going to have a bigger fight. But 
eventually they're going to have to let go of of their manacles on their on their people. They're just going to they're just going to need to. Um, I have a coworker. She's from California. And like northern, I think California is going to split in two states. It would not shock me yes. if it happens, like especially with this whole thing, because the northern part of California is totally conservative and they've had hardly any cases of this thing, actually. Um, so there was no reason for them to even shut down at all. Their mm-hmm. needs are completely different from Southern California. And so, but a lot of people in Southern California, they're fighting back, they're protesting, they're, they want their freedoms back. They, and the, the governor of California, the person we probably none of us like, he has yeah. had to cave on certain things because they have fought back so hard. So if they keep fighting, if people keep fighting back, I think, I think freedoms will come back, but the people have to learn that you need to fight for your freedom. Like when it gets taken away, you've got to fight for it or the government won't return it. So it really depends on the people at this point. It's so not fair because no one asked for this and it was just imposed upon us. And I'm of the opinion that if we never locked down, I think the numbers would be the exact same. I just feel like things would be better if we kept it open because then you wouldn't have the suicides, you wouldn't have the domestic violence, you wouldn't have the alcoholism, the suicides are out of this world, but no one talks about that. But John, I'm, I'm going to pose the same question to you, man. Where do you see us in January? Hopefully we're not in this stuff because I'm supposed to be going to Japan to go watch some uh, Wrestle Kingdom and, and the <laughs> Tokyo Dome. So this, this crap Only better be figured if out. opens it up. What's that? Only if Billy Ray Valentine reopens. Oh, he did. You, did you not hear the Wednesday locker room this week? I mean, I was on there as the crowd. I did. Billy Ray, yeah, he, that was the first thing he did. Jargo was on. He said he opened up, you know, New Japan and pro wrestling, which, hey, I'm, I'm – <laughs> So first of all, if they if they screw with me going to Japan because this has been a bucket list trip for me and to go see Wrestle Kingdom, uh, yeah, I'm gonna be raising some hell. Uh, uh, second of all, you know the thing about it. Uh, here's another fun little history fact: when te- when Texas came into the United States, the only country, the only we we were we we came in as a republic and and then of course uh, accepted statehood. Uh, we weren't just made a state. Uh, we also had the provision that Texas can be divided into five states. So uh, at some point, let's say down the road, if things get as bad as they are and as divisive as they are, you could have four states in Austin, you know, because Austin is the liberal weird place that you know nobody likes in Texas. But uh, you yeah, uh, know, so in, in theory, you could have five states made out of Texas, um, and there's enough resources and there's enough people to allow that to happen but in in all actuality i think um hopefully this this time has allowed our leaders to really look and see okay if we did this again how would we do it and would we do it different and i think a lot of them are starting to see that we could that we could um you know, and, and hopefully they've gotten that smarts to where they go, yeah, no, we, we, we need to make this change um, because we see what has what has caused. Now, do I expect them to really do that? No, because they've proven that their idiocy knows no bounds and that they have no, once again, common interest or common sense for the regular person to be able to make those decisions, you know. So 
I think it goes back to the fact of what's the political agenda, you know? So um, that's, that's the whole point, you know, of, uh, of what we, what we can expect. It's, it's what is the political agenda behind it all? But all I'm going to say, I'm going to say this on record. If you mess with my new Japan pro wrestling and me being able to go to Tokyo, <laughs> we're going to have words because I got to see me some Kota Ibushi. I got to see me some Tetsuya Naito. I've got to see me some uh, Kazushika Okada. I've got to see me some Bullet Club. So, you know, knock it off, government. Knock it off. I don't know who any of those people are. Do you know who they are, Bonnie? No, but you know what? Japan is safe. (laughs) They are like one of the best countries in handling this virus. So you go there. You're good to go. You're solid. (laughs) And, and, you know, they, they technically never shut down because their government cannot force people to do that. They, they can encourage it, they recommended it, but they technically never shut down because it is actually in their laws that they cannot do that. I was watching a video, because I've been watching a lot of videos about Tokyo and different you know places in Japan to go visit and travel and stuff, and that was one of the things they talked about, is that they, they actually strongly recommended, so people over there self-quarantined and self-stayed home, and, uh, gov- and uh, businesses allowed for that and stuff, but the government because of laws, could not tell them to stay home and could not regulate everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it should be that way everywhere. I don't understand why. I think the last time I checked the numbers, which was like earlier this morning, the death rate was like 0.4% of people that get it die. And the people that die are over the age of 65. So why the fuck is everyone shut down? Why are schools closed? When originally Lord exalted one Dr. Fauci said kids can't get this. And if they do, it's a very low death rate, like extremely low to the point where it's non-existent. So why did we go to such extreme measures to shut this down when we are doing way more harm than good? And I can't I, I'm sorry, but I, I can't take my thoughts away from this just being purely political. Do you see this in hindsight? Do you see the truth coming out? Do you see people in handcuffs? Do you see like Pelosi and everybody else who was behind this? Do you see anything happening to the Democrat Party? And I know the answer is probably no, because they get away with fucking everything. But they self-imposed destruction of the economy to the point where people are dying because they can't work, because we're not allowed to do anything that they won't let us do. And this fucking Fauci guy, man, he really pisses me off because he changes his tune every day. Which way is the wind blowing? I don't know. Fauci's going to change his mind no matter what. Wear masks. Don't wear masks. Don't buy masks. Do this. Do that. You have to do this. And now he's saying that we can't stay closed forever, even though he wanted us to stay closed forever, because the economy can't sustain a, a, a shutdown state. So it's like, who the fuck is this guy? Why the fuck is he given so much currency that his thoughts are like law? What the fuck is happening? Like, I, 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 I really feel like I'm in this never-ending nightmare that won't end. I don't know how you guys feel about it, Bonnie. What do you think? Um, well, we could be like Europe, they in England and in certain countries in Europe, they are actually filing lawsuits against certain government officials for certain lockdown measures. Um, I would like to hope that that would happen here that we could place accountability where it should be. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, though. I, I really, really don't. I would like to see that happen to, you know, Place people accountable for the damage that they have done. Place China, for crying out loud, let's place China responsible for all of this. I blame them. 
racist. for a lot of this. I'm sorry, but I <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's hold people accountable. It probably won't happen, but you know, one can hope and hope that that could happen since we are seeing it happen in other countries. But I, I, I wish it could. I, I don't think it will, though. So, you know, that's my thought. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got, John? I mean, if let's put it this way: if two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when the economy collapsed and we saw the amount of rampant fraud and fraudulent system that the government and banks had and nobody got one person got arrested out of yeah. all that and went to prison I, and you expect something to happen from this and there's no way it's there's not no way. it's not going to happen i mean you know think about it billions of dollars disappeared overnight and nothing happened one banker got arrested for something that a lot of people did fraudulent mm -hmm. government systems as well as um, as, as well as fraudulent, uh, you know, banking systems and, and nothing happened. So nothing's going to happen here because of the same thing. You know, nobody's going to go to prison. No one's going to get arrested. Nothing. Because once again, it's about the people who's in charge, their power and what it's, it's not about the people. It's not about the good of the people. You know, let's be honest. Um, uh, a lot of our politicians are, are, I mean, I want to say brain dead, but they're tone deaf. Uh, they're brain dead, too. You know, I mean, Pelosi <laughs> talking about her mass refrigerator and the ice cream. But then at the same time, you got Ted Cruz and his idiocy. You know, I mean, they're tone deaf to what's going on in general because it's not about the people. It's not about the people they represent. It's about the things they get from special interest groups. And so nothing will happen. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, that that's that's going to cause more issues and more problems because, you know, we have these senators and House of Representatives who stay in office for years in the, the state life. of Texas for life. In the state of Texas, you are you can be has as many, many terms you want, but you have to have a regular job because the state of Texas, they only meet every other year and they only meet for a certain period of time. And the amount of pay you get as a state senator or state representative would not supplement your income, would not be able to live off of. So as a state representative or a state senator, you have to have a job. You have to be a working person, you know, um, do something like that nationally or term limits. You know, one of those two things, you know, let someone serve for 12 years and be done, you know, uh, you know, and, and that's it, you know, because. You know, you don't need these because once again, when you do that, when you allow this to happen, you allow special interests to step in to fund these people and it allows them to take their eye of the reason they're there to represent the people of their district and who they represent and not and, and then it no longer becomes about that. Um, and so things like term limits or limiting their pay or how long they serve. Those are going to be things that are changing, but it's not going to happen. Why? Because the people in control are in control and they're not going to want to cede their control. And so there's no way, you know, a term limits bill is going to pass in Congress because Congress wants to keep the money flowing to themselves. And so everybody talks term limits is a great idea, but it's not going to happen because Congress won't allow it. You know, and so, you know, so, yeah, nothing's going to happen and we're just going to sit here and we're going to continue complaining. Things are continue to go the way they 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 are because 
no real change can be enacted. Makes perfect sense, man. But all right, I'm ready to get into the meat of this podcast. And the reason why we congregated together today is because we had a conversation on Discord that Voices of Misery, if you guys want to get in there on Twitter, we were talking about a very sensitive topic. And I think it's time for us to get into that. We were talking about abortion. And I am pro-choice. You guys are both pro-life. And we talked about this in depth. We had a great conversation, but I'm like, you know what? Let's save it for the podcast. And before I ask your guys' opinion, because I'm going to get jumped here, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get destroyed here, but it's, it's, it's okay. I like having conversations. And that's something that we lack as people is having conversations with differentiating opinions. I want to talk about this now. The reason why I am pro-choice is because there are many circumstances where a woman can get pregnant. And we were talking about this the other day. And uh, sorry for the weird 180 listeners out there, but we were kind of leading to this the whole time. We kind of got off topic here a little bit and talked about politics for a while, which I hope you guys enjoy. But, I mean, there are so many stories out there about women getting raped, women getting, you know, like incestuous, like you got the creepy uncle that touches you and, and does something to you. Hey, don't tell mom and dad, you know? And I feel like women like that in those situations should have the choice to say, no, I'm not going to bring a child in the world that I had no choice in making. It was against my will. Why do I have to have this kid? And I mean, it's a very touchy subject. Obviously I am not a woman. I do have, two young daughters and I hate to say this word, but God forbid anything ever happens to them against their will. I would like for them to have the choice to say no. And we can go to the clinic together. It's obviously their choice. I am not a woman. It's not my body. They can do what they want to do. And they have that choice. I don't like the fact that people are saying that women should have the child no matter what, because no one can put themselves in their shoes. Is that person going to take care of this kid? No. But they want you to, to not have that right because they feel a certain way because of words in a book that was written thousands of years ago. Now, I know you guys both have your opinions on this. And Bonnie, we'll start with you because you are a woman and I would like to get your insight on this. And then John, of course, you can go as well because, you know, I want this to be an open forum. But I do believe that women need to have the choice because you can't take people's choices away. It's no different than what we're doing now. You can't go to work. Okay, so we just have to sit there and take it. No, I, women need to have a choice. And I understand, and I'm getting a little long-winded here, but if you are a slut, if, if, if you're out there on the streets and, and, and you're getting clapped out by many men and you just keep having abortion after abortion, then there's something wrong with that. But if you're a, a, a good, honest person, and something bad happened to you and you got pregnant as a result of something bad happening to you that you have no control over, you need to have that right to abort the baby. Bonnie. I'm sorry, Bonnie. I'm sorry. I love you both, but go ahead, Bonnie. Let's hear your thoughts. Okay. So first off, when we're talking abortion and you say, you know, the right to choose to have an abortion, um, you know, you really got to think about, you know, if you're an adult and do you have the right to go kill someone else because they inconvenience you? No, you don't. There are certain certain things in our society that say that you can't do that. And what we've seen in society looking at abortion is how do we actually view and value human life? 
Now you're you're saying rape, incest, certain you know elements are really really hard, and I know because you know we talked about this yeah. before. I was assaulted once, and I'm telling you that did. If if there had been a pregnancy that would not abortion would never have entered my mind because of how I view human life. I find every life precious and worth value and every life deserves to have a life, no matter the circumstances of how that life came to be. And when you look at rape and incest, and and this is why I, I have a hard time with this argument. And let me tell you why, because the cases of rape and incest are less than 1% of all abortions. Okay. And, and you can you can find that number at the Research Institute of Planned Parenthood even. So this is according to their numbers. So that's that's not I, I like to look at why is the other ninety-nine percent having abortions? Now you want to look at the one percent. We can talk about that one percent. I'm more than willing to talk about, you know, instances of rape, incest, the life of the mother being in danger. But even in those cases, when you're looking at survivors of rape and survivors of incest, first, as we've talked about before, incest, you know, when you have an abortion, that, that, that hides the crime. You're not doing that young girl any favors by saying, let's have an abortion. Because more than likely, and there's been repeated cases of this happen, happening in Planned Parenthood, is that they, they let it go on. They let these crimes go on. They don't report it to the authorities like they're supposed to. And you have these young girls being constantly abused year after year after year. And that doesn't, that doesn't help them in any way. But if there is a pregnancy and they're not allowed to abort it, guess what? That crime comes to light. And they are taken out of that dangerous situation. And, and they can get on the road to healing and, and, you know, being placed in, in a better situation for themselves. Now, when you look at rape, rape is, is, is a really hard situation. And I feel for any woman that has to go through that and has to find herself pregnant and facing those, those consequences. Um, but if you look at statistics, um, 73% of women um, that survive rape choose to have to go through the pregnancy most of them don't even think about abortion it doesn't even enter their mind they've done lots of clinical studies on this and then those that do go through an abortion let's say they get rape or or incest is is the case 80 almost 90 percent 88 percent of women regret it later it's one of their biggest regrets and they they when you when you've gone through such a trauma as being raped, um, that's a physical, emotional, and mental trauma that you have to deal with. But when you add on abortion onto that, that's another trauma that you have that they also have to deal with and face up to. And in a lot of in a lot of cases, we should be focusing on healing. We should not be focusing on adding additional trauma. And when it comes down to, when you hear the saying, my body, my choice, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's not just your body, it's two bodies. And I don't think anyone has a right to say, 
um, well, it's just, it's just my body. No, it's not like, it's not like the baby is like an, an a limb. Okay. It, yeah. It's not like an extra arm. Like it's an actual other life. And we need to look at the value of human life. And I look at the percentage of abortions. There's a million abortions every year in the United States alone. And mm -hmm. so that that's just the United States. In the whole world, it's it's way big. Since this whole since January this year in the whole world, there's been 10 million abortions. Jesus. And I look at that number, it's not it's huge. And you look at all that life that is being those lives are being murdered. They are. And we're not, we're losing the sense of what, what is life and how is it valuable to, to each of us. And I think as a man, you have the right to have an opinion on it because you know what? 50% of all babies are boys <laughs> and every child has a father. So every man should have a voice in this because they're, they're in the game too. They suffer too. You have women that go and have abortions, go to Planned Parenthood, and you have fathers beg them and plead with them not to. I'll take I'll take responsibility for the child. Just go through the pregnancy, and I'll raise him or her. I you, you see cases of fathers having to grieve for their child because they're in the game too, emotionally, mentally, they're in it too. I agree. But they have no voice because because the pro-choice movement says they don't have a voice. And I say that's wrong. Men have just as much voice as women do in this situation. I mean, it's a very slippery slope. And uh, and the one thing that you said kind of struck me a little bit was the fact that you said that, you know, if the woman is <clears throat> at risk, then she can abort the baby and it's 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 really strange because like you're picking one life over another. So at that point, I don't know if I'm pro-choice for that argument. And it's it, it's very tough because this is one topic where you can either be wrong or right. But I mean, there is no right or wrong answer. It's very subjective. It's just how you feel about the situation. But if a woman is like at risk to die, to give birth to another life. That's where it just gets slippery, and I don't know the answer to that because I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle in that situation. I am pro pro choice when it comes to like a woman being raped because like it's it's no fault of their own. Like they have no say. A man just raped them and and, and had an orgasm inside of them, and now they have a baby. Uh, if it's an incest baby, that's another thing. I mean, like you're being touched as a child, you have no say in it. it it's it's just it's just really creepy and. <clears throat> Shit, man, like this is a really tough topic to talk about because like we are both on opposite sides of the spectrum. But I like the fact that we can have this open communication. And I know my boy is chomping at the bit. Take it, John. Well, I mean, once again, you have to look at this. Planned Parenthood is a 501c3 nonprofit funded by the government. Uh, in 2014, they earned $1.3 billion dollars. You can't tell me it's not about the money. 530 million of that came from government funding. You know, so you have to come and you have to question, is this about the person? Is it about the money? When we see time and time again that it's about, you know, people are encouraging them because we see that they get bonuses for things and, and encouraging services. Now, most people equate Planned Parenthood with abortion. Um, uh, so in 2014, there were 300, 
324,000 abortions done by that. Um, according to them, that's on record. Um, so, but like I said, they we've seen over and over again where they say they've disciplined or fired people because of other things that we've seen, not including the selling of baby parks. How you know? Well, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not that's beyond that. So I'm just trying to go by the 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 straight numbers. I'm not trying to be once again as political. I'm just common sensing this thing here. Um, so in 2014, uh, 205 million patients were seen. Um, 324 of those were abortions. The other things that they do, they they provide um, contraceptives and se sex education, things like that. But where they retain the majority of their money is from those abortions. Now, um, in, in 2019, um, forcible rape cases, uh, or in 2018, California had 15,505 forcible rape cases that were reported. Texas was second with 14,693. Florida was third with 8,438. So right there, we see that these numbers are, are, are fairly you know, large in the sense of crime. If you take that in the aspect of the amount of people, um, you know, that is a pretty staggering number. How many of those resulted in pregnancy? We don't have that number. Um, I couldn't find that number um, off the top of my head. Uh, well, not off the top of my head, but from my, from my research. So mm -hmm. the point being is out of those, how many were pregnant? I, there's not a good number that I could tell you that, that shows out of these things. So it goes back to the fact that once again, um, and, and, and I'm not saying, once again, this is not about what the Bible says at all, period. This is about how I view life, and it's how you view life. Um, so um, to me, life is precious. It begins at conception. And, and that, that um, life deserves to be fought for, you know. Um, so why not fight for that life? You know, that's, that's the whole aspect of it. Um, regardless of what we see um, or what we expect, that life has value no matter how it was created. It's not their fault they were created from a violent crime. It's not their fault. So we're deeming that they're not valuable and they're not worth life because of something that someone else did. That would be like me saying, you're not valuable because you did this. You know? And so... Uh, we see that we see that people are getting abortions because their child will have deformities or, or, or not, you know, uh, all kinds of things, retardation, things along those lines, mm -hmm. uh, mental capabilities. Um, you know, that what makes that child less valuable? Nothing. You know, some yep. of the best people I know have had autism or, you know, retardation or, anything along those lines, Down syndromes, things like that. Um, what makes them less valuable? In that theory, if we say, well, we need to do that, in that theory, your youngest child should be dead if we're going to go that route. You well, know, she's, we, she's we, autistic. So, we have an autistic child. Right. And so that, so in some people's theory, we have that, you know, or I've known parents who and people who, and once again, it goes back to they regretted it and they hated their choice for it. But they've aborted a child because it wasn't, you know, it had Down syndrome or it had this or had that, or there were traces of autism and, and their genetic code. So that child is deemed invaluable 
And 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 so to me, it's about logic. It's about common sense. But it's also how I view life. You know, I'm you know now at the same time, I'm going to contradict myself because I am pro death sentence. You know, mm-hmm. but at the you know at the same time, I think the the standards to get to that point have to be different. And the other argument I would say is that person made that choice. They chose to end someone else's life. And then, so therefore they have the right to have that plea brought to them as an option. But the, the, the standards to reach that option need to be stringent because it's their choice. It's their decision to end that life. Whereas with abortion, the child, regardless of the situation of how they're brought into the world or the way they're going to be brought in the world or their, their genetic makeup does not invalidate them as a person. And so uh, I have to look at things. I try to look at things, even though I have a religious bent and I have a religious stance on things, I try to look at them as, um, as common sense, numbers-wise, as possible. And so for me, I can't look at Planned Parenthood and the way they, they let's be honest, they promote abortion um, in a way other than it's about the money. It's about the things that they're, and once again, it's a political agenda. It is what they want. Um, you know, uh, uh, Margaret Sanger had some ties, now they weren't strong, but some ties to eugenics. And the idea of, you know, basically the idea of we make our race stronger by killing the weak, you know, and the minorities. Those are her thoughts. Now, it, it, it's not a strong connection. There is a connection. She did uh, was a part of some eugenics groups. Um, but it wasn't like she was all gung-ho for it. And that wasn't the main reason she started Planned Parenthood. But there was some of that in her process of starting this. And so it goes back to where are these places located? Look at them. They're in low-income areas. Why? Some would say, well, it's because those areas need it. They provide health care. They provide uh all those things, you know, the other contraceptives and other things along those lines. Um, okay, great. I understand that. But every time you go in there, as you are talked about with those things, you are also talked about abortion. So what's the purpose? What's the, what's the, you know, it goes, it, I mean, there's a political agenda uh, behind everything. There's a, a reason why. You know, it's either political or the money. Those are the two reasons why people do anything, politics or money. And you have to look at those reasons. And, and um, you know, you can say that about churches. You can say that about business. You can say that about politicians. It's all about politics and money. End of story. Well, that's that's very true. And, and it does make a lot of sense. But the thing is about women, and I'm not just saying women like women and men, people who, who do choose to go the abortion route, is you're going to have you know, bad sentiment either way. I mean, either the woman, you know, has no choice and she has to have a kid and she looks at the face of someone that raped her as they grow up, because of course it's going to have the dad's DNA and let's, and like, I'm going the rape route because like, I only feel it should be necessary in, in, in two situations, mostly rape and incest. Obviously the woman should not have to, you know, give birth to a child that they had no choice in creating. So it, it's like you remember those moments every time you look at this kid. And I do know that there is the, the uh, adoption route, which is uh, <laughs> a great route. But 
you're you're forcing a woman to stare in the face her 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 nightmare that she has to relive every time she looks at this kid. And if she doesn't give the kid up for adoption, then she has to deal with it. But if she gives the kid up for adoption, she might wonder what if. And <clears throat> I am not a woman, obviously. It, it, it's just a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. It, it's just a really tough topic to talk about. Like I said before, I really feel like there should be an option. I feel like there should be an option for everything in life because life is finite, man. Like we are not going to live forever. Why do we have to impose these things? And I don't know if it's because of a biblical reason that you guys may feel the way that you feel. I feel like there needs to be more options for people, uh, more choices. Um, and I'm going to pass it to Bonnie here. But I just can't understand why we have no choices. And the whole COVID-19 thing that we spend over an hour talking about with, with, you know, like we don't have choices to go to work and do this, why you would want people to not have a choice as far as giving birth when there are mitigating circumstances that could be horrible for the mother. So Bonnie, I mean, it's a really tough one, but I'm going to pass it off to you. Let's hear what you think. Well, you have to look at it like this. So, yes, there was a horrific event that happened that brought forth the pregnancy. But you have to you have to say, okay, that happened. But does an innocent life have to pay the ultimate price because of that horrific event? Because of a crime that a man committed, should an innocent life have to pay the price? When we don't even have the death penalty for rapists, but we have a death penalty for the innocent who did nothing wrong, nothing. They did nothing wrong, but we don't even, (laughs) I mean, we, we can go into the justice system for, for crime, for rape. And it's, it's horrible that they don't even spend hardly, hardly any time in jail as it is. Um, But they don't really (laughs) suffer that much. Rapists don't pay hardly any consequence for what they do. So why do we make innocent children pay that, pay that consequence? They should never have to pay that consequence because they are innocent. And, you know, you, 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 can, you can think, put religion aside. I don't think religion even enters into this at all. Because at the end of the day, to me, life begins at conception. And you, I am all about preserving and conserving life. And life is beautiful and precious. And why on earth are we saying that it's okay? Yes, something bad happened. And there, there is a consequence, unfortunately, sometimes to that. But an innocent life shouldn't have to pay that consequence. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, need, to, we need to step back and say, okay, yes, yes, it is unfair mm-hmm. um, for a woman that's been raped to, to have to go through a pregnancy raise a child there is adoption which i think is one of the most beautiful things out there okay my mom was adopted you want you want you want to look at, at crime okay my mom's birth father basically raped and i mean he he was a druggie he raped my mom's birth mother he said if she got pregnant he would kill her she oh. she abortion could have been so easy for her okay she could have said okay well this isn't worth my life. Her life was in danger. But what did she do? She went on the run. 
she went through the pregnancy. She put my mom and they were twins. So my, my uncle up for adoption. She risked her life to do that because she knew that their life was worth it. And I think we just don't value life. We say, this is okay because something bad happened, but is it really okay? At the end of the day, is it okay for, for us as a society to determine that? Um, and, and to, and to say that it's okay to, to toss that life away because something bad happened. And I think every life should have the chance to live. Every person should have that chance for themselves. And, you know, if, if a woman struggles with, um, raising that child, there are other options. There are, there are a lot of options out there for women, um, that, you know, we're not forcing them to raise that child. They don't have to do that. There are thousands of parents that wait years and years. My cousin and her husband were one of them. They waited over 10 years to adopt a baby. So, I mean, it, there are thousands of parents that want to love a child that can't physically have children. And, you know, there are other options out there. So we should encourage women to promote healing, to to investigate these other options. When you go on college campuses, and Lila Rose is one of my favorite people, and she went undercover into Planned Parenthood. She went undercover onto a lot of campuses, and she did a lot of research. And she's like the head of live action, which is a big uh, proponent for um, the pro-life movement. And she said on campuses, when a woman gets pregnant, whether it's by rape or on her own, they do not promote other options. They just say, we have two doctors we can send you to at Planned Parenthood. That's where they send them. They give them hardly any options. They don't give them options. I think we need to give women choices and say, there are other options for you. Adoption is not the only way that you can go. So I think we need to promote healing. We need to promote these options and, and, and talk about life and talk about, you know, how life does begin at conception and, and say, how are we as a society really viewing life? In the end, I think that's what it really boils down to. Makes a ton of sense. And uh, John, I'm about to let you hop in here in a second. But I want to ask you this question before I pass it to John, Bonnie. Um, it's just like you see the people out there in the media and people out there that have influence who are always the loudest voices about these topics that are telling other people what to do with their bodies. And do you think that there's a place for that? Or do you think that this should be held in a case-by-case basis where people can kind of take the reins and control their own lives? Because I feel like people need to have that choice. Like people need to have an option. I don't think all doors should be shut because every case is different. But what do you think? I think, I think what it boils down to is you're saying they should have a choice over their life but it's not just their life, is it? It's another life that's involved. It's not just them that's making this decision. They are making a decision for someone that, that has no voice, has no say. How is that fair to them? It's not. And I think that's what it really boils down to is we're, we're forgetting that there are two lives in play here, not just one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we really need to say, okay, does one, is one life more important than the other? And I just, I just don't think that's the case. In most cases of abortion, 99% of them, statistically, 
it, it has it has nothing to do with I mean to me abortion the way society views it now it's all about I don't want to be inconvenienced or I don't want to pay the accountability guess what when you have sex there's a risk of being pregnant it, that's what it comes down to and you know, we're just seen as a society going away from being accountable. And I think that's what this actually boils down to. And yeah, there are women that did not have a choice when they were assaulted or raped or, you know, had the creepy uncle that assaulted them. And mm -hmm. I feel for them. I really, really do. And I personally understand that pain. But I also understand that the last thing you need is to have an abortion and add extra trauma onto the current trauma that you're dealing with. I see a therapist every single month because of the trauma I faced and it was, it was five years ago. So, I mean, I just think we need to be promoting the option that there, that this is a life and we need to talk about that. There is a life. Most people ignore it. They think it's just a blob of cells and it's nothing until it's born or after it's born or when parents determine whether or not they want to have it. Um, and that's not the case. It is a life and we need to view it as a life and treat it as such. Treat it that there's two lives in play here, not just one. That makes a lot of sense. And I do appreciate you sharing your story because it's, it's, it's very touchy and I really do appreciate you for saying that. But and can we just get really light for one second before I pass it off to John so he can do his uh, bit here? There's someone here that wants to say hi to both of you. And John Enright, I see the smile on his face. He knows who it is. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Yes! Go ahead. Oh, my God. Go ahead and say hi before well, look at him. So we can get into the darkness that we're talking about. I just wanted to say hi. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Oh. How you doing? Hey, I wore my nice new Hawaiian shirt just for the nerdette in hopes that maybe she would come on and see it. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, she bought me some more beer, some more fuel for the podcast. So thank you, nerdette, for doing that. And say hello to Bonnie. What's going on, girl? Hey, how are you? I'm good. You guys having a good time? No one's arguing? Oh, no, not, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We're about to. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I'm having a good time. This is a great show. I love these two people. They're doing a great job, and we're having a good conversation. So get the fuck out so we can keep it going. I'm trying I'm trying to grab all your <laughs> garbage here. All right. All right, John. Hey, Nerdette, Nerdette, I do have it on record. That when you reach a million downloads, Nerd has said that I'm coming and we will, I will perform and officiate a wedding for the two of you. Yep. Listen, I saw that. That <laughs> I think that conversation. I think I was in bed or something, but yeah. I saw it the next day. Yep. And I, I, I have it screenshotted. It, it's ready to go. So we will be there soon. Man. We're, we're holding you to it. Our, our show's up. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm down. I will come out there. I will come on my own time. I just need a place to, to crash. We will do it, and we will do it. I say we do it uh, live on the podcast, and we podcast that would be amazing. That would be interesting. Holy shit! Just <laughs> imagine me saying my vows on camera. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Get the hell out of here, so I can do my show. Get the hell out of here. All right, John. Let's hear your thoughts, buddy. If you remember what we just talked about before that rude interruption for my wife. Oh my god. That lovely interruption. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Let's hear it, buddy. Well, you know, it's hard for me to comment uh, being a guy, you know, on the other yeah. half of it. But I do work for an agency that deals with victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. So 
um, I understand the aspect of, you know, what you're talking about, of rape and, and um, you know, and, and all that aspect of it, uh, because we deal with it on a daily basis, um, you know, especially our sexual assault advocates. They, they, that's something they deal with every day of someone who's talking about what they went through. Um, you know, the, the amount of trauma one experiences, you know, uh, and I also know firsthand from, from my own life um, as a victim of sexual assault, the amount of trauma they experience is just incredible. And the fact that we would ask someone to do something so violent to their body, um, you know, think about it. If you hurt another person, I don't care who you are, what you say or how you think you're going to be upset that someone else was hurt because of you. And in this instance, you are ending a life um, because of what you do. You know, uh, the, you know, I mean, the fact that a child's heartbeat, um, you know, begins in the first trimester. I mean, uh, that's amazing that, uh, that, you know, that it is functioning and, and, and beating. You know, and to me, that is a child. You know, I mean, I believe in conception. So before that aspect, even it is a, a person. But it, let's just say you don't believe it's a person until the heartbeat. That's in the first trimester, which is in the first couple of weeks and, or months. And and it is a person at that point. And you are going to make someone have someone make that choice to kill a thing because of someone else. That would be like you committing a crime and your child suffering for it. You don't. You don't. You know, and I mean, like I said, the laws that we have for rapists are woefully underrated. Having seen this on a daily basis and hearing the stories and hearing the things that people go through, um, the laws that we have on on rape are just woefully underrated. You know, people are like, well, it protects um, false accusations. False accusations are less than, than 5%. Of, of of rape story, you know, um, really? rape, yeah, yeah, then rape accusations. They're not common at all. Um, for the majority of the part, it is ninety five percent of them are true. And so, the aspect though that a person who commits rape, you know, would spend less time in jail than a majority of crimes. Sometimes even of of, of people who are. Of, you know, caught for drug use or, you know, and, and stuff like that. That aspect is terrible. And so then on top of that, we're going to have a woman make a choice um, where in, in, and like I said, all the options should be presented to that child, to that person about what this, what can be done with this child, not just, you know, go have an abortion, you know, and, and once again, we're talking about rape and incest, which are are less, um, you know, than a majority of the things that are going on that have to deal with abortion. They're not a majority; they are a minority, uh, especially incest. You know, it's less than one percent. So, um, you know, those it, it, it's I understand the idea of making a choice. We all have choices, but in this instance, as Bonnie just eloquently said. You're not making a choice about yourself, especially because we know that that child is a person and it's about that decision making process. And so you've already gone through all these things. You have to do it again. You have to make this choice of, um, you know, killing this person 
And so how, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you come to grips with that? I mean, you've got soldiers who get PTSD from fighting a war and doing the things that they were trained to do because they killed a person. Yeah. How does a person who went through a traumatic event tack another one on top of that and then make, you know, and we ask them to make that choice? You know, it, they're either going to have years upon years of counseling um, or they're going to, something else is going to happen. They're going to turn to alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. or, you know, other worst case scenarios from those things. You know, and, and so I'm not saying we don't limit a woman's choice. I'm just saying, let us, let us really look at what abortion is and what it does and the purpose behind it. What is the good that comes from it? I see very little good coming from it. I can't, you can't tell me that killing a person that is living inside you is good. Uh, it, it, to me, that there's no good that really comes from it, only in the aspect if, if it saves the life of the mother. And then, if, once again, you're making that choice. How do you, how do you choose? You know, that would be like if an accident happens um, between my parents and um, the hospital can save one of my parents. How do I choose between my mom and my dad who to save? You know, and it's up to me as the oldest in our family, as the, and as, and I mean, I'm the only boy, but as the oldest, it's my choice to choose. Does, do I elect to have my dad saved or my mom saved? Yeah. How do I make that decision? I mean, I'm dealing with the fact they were in a traumatic accident and they are, they are clinging to life. And now I have to choose which one of them lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want that decision, and I couldn't see how to do that. And I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to have counseling from that decision because I'm basically saying I, I killed one of my parents because there wasn't an ability to make that choice. And and so we're asking that of these women. And I, I just, you know, I don't see the good. You know, as much as people say, well, it's, it's my choice. I can do what I want. Great. But what's the good that comes out of it? What is the positive, the good that came out of it? You got your choice, but you killed someone for it. You know, I I don't see the good that comes from it personally. Oh, oh no, I completely understand where you're coming from, and I respect your opinion. But, Bonnie, I want to ask you this question, and, John, I want you to answer this one after. Can you personalize this? And I do appreciate the fact that you you did the analogy of, like, save my mom and my dad, because I'm going to give you this, too. Imagine if your daughter, and and I, I mean, like, I don't believe in God. Obviously, I'm an agnostic. I don't disbelieve, nor I believe. But, I mean, fuck, man. Like, this is a really hard question to ask, but that's what this podcast is all about. Imagine if you have a daughter. Both, like, both of you ha- have a daughter. She comes home from school. She's crying her eyes out. She got raped. And she's pregnant. How do you have that conversation? Like, saying, like, hey, you have to have this kid, even though this horrible experience happened to you. Can you put yourself in those shoes? And I know this is a fucked up question to ask, but that's why we're here to answer the hard questions. Bonnie, I'm going to ask you this first because like I know and I appreciate you and I love you for telling your story about you, you know, having a situation. But how do you have that conversation with your kid if they deal with the same thing and saying, hey, you have to have this kid because of X. This is how I believe. How do you have that conversation? You have it very, it has to be a conversation of love and understanding. And when you have, let's say that that happened, 
Um, my love and support would be with her a hundred percent. But you also, you also, when you're having, when you're having a conversation, and and you're talking about that, um, the first. The first thing that's the first she she's not going to think abortion right away. That's not going to be in her mind. She her mind is focused on the trauma that that is where her mind is at, because that's where mine was at. And she, she's not going to be thinking about consequences. She's not going to be thinking about pregnancy. That's not going to enter her mind if she comes home and she's just been raped. That is that's the last thing that's going to enter into her mind. My job as her mother is to is to be there for love, support, understanding, and 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 to help her go through this and to heal. And there is no, there's just, and I would not force her to to not like. I would, you know, I would be understanding. I would recommend going to going to a counselor, going to getting help going to uh, lay out all of all of her options for her um as time goes forward but it but it is a difficult conversation to have but i think at the end of the day the, the way that i would raise my daughter is that would not even enter her mind and let me tell you why because the way that i view life and the way that i treat life and that every life is precious. And if she happened to find out that she was pregnant two months later or whatever, and we had to have, we had to sit down and have this conversation, it would be, it would be a conversation of openness and understanding and respect. But I, I, I would like to point out, and I would point out to her that, that this is another life. This is, this is, this is your child that we're, we're talking about. This is an actual life that's living inside of you. And I, and I would explain to her that this child should not have to pay. Now, if you, if you are not comfortable raising this child or anything, then, then she doesn't have to, there are other options out there for her. And, and it would be a difficult conversation and it would be, it would be really hard to have that conversation and go, but I would be a hundred percent on board with her going through this healing process with her, helping her through that. But I also believe that abortion is not going to help her heal. It, it, it does no good to help her heal. It will only slow down the healing process in the end. And, and I want her to live a bright and beautiful, loving life. And I want her to embrace life fully. And the only way that I felt that I could help her through that is to help her heal. And I would not encourage an abortion because that's not going to help her heal. That's only going to hurt her more down the road. How much do you think your beliefs in anti-abortion are seated in religion? Hardly any at the end of the day, okay. because, because, because I just, I look at the science of life, you know, when, for example, let me share a story of my sister. When she, when my mom was pregnant with her, they had an ultrasound and my mom was probably maybe five months along, maybe, maybe four months. And my sister was, to, her, her back was to my parents as they were looking through the ultrasound. 
and she had her hand over over her shoulder. And when they bumped my mom's stomach, she waved. Mm. There is a life and they have personality. They, they have reason, they have a mind. And to me, there is so much scientific evidence. There's so much scientific evidence to show that there is a life at conception. And there is no, I, I think that's the real, the real um, issue here is how people view abortion. They don't view it as a life until it's actually born. And that's just not the case. It is a life. And there's lots of scientific evidence to show that it is a life from, from the heartbeat on. I mean, from conception on. I mean, just look at the growth process and look at all of the, the different evidences. You can, just, you can just go online and you can do your own research. And I want you to do your own research if, if you don't think it's a life. And look at what doctors and scientists that have studied this for years say about this. And, 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 and I look at that evidence and I say, that is a real life. It has a personality. It has a mind of, of their own, his or her own. And, and they should not have the choice of life taken away from them because of a, of a horrific event, because it's not their fault. Makes sense. Let's hear it, John. What you got, buddy? Well, I mean... First of all, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a dad of a mom or of a daughter because if I was, I'd be. Um, my wife and I had this discussion that if I was the father of a of a of a female of a girl, I'd she, her name would be Sweetie Pumpkin Cutie Pie, and <laughs> the first thing that would happen would I'd be in jail because I beat the crap out of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but on top of that, I think it goes it, uh, for me same thing. It's how I view life. It's how I view, um, you know, just life in general. Uh, life is precious. Every life is precious and important. And so uh, it would be a conversation of love. Uh, of course, once again, working for a nonprofit agency that deals with sexual assault, I know the steps that we need to take, um, how to go about reporting, how to handle those situations. I think I have a little bit of advantage on normal parents because um, I know some of these steps that need to be taken. So we would go about that, which those are traumatizing in itself of having to report and the forensic interview that you have to go through. Um, I mean, that's an invasive procedure among itself to collect the evidence uh, to prove rape. Um, And that's a traumatic and invasive procedure. So, um, but being with my daughter, walking her through those situations, being supportive of her, getting her the help she needs with the counselors and the advocates that we need to handle those situations, to um, ensure that she's getting what she needs, to know that she's loved, that it's not her fault, and that um, you know I'm proud of her for what she's doing and how she's making us stand and um, things along those lines. But then at the same time, it's um, healing her. And so um, letting her know look, these are the options. You can keep this child, we can raise it, and we can do whatever you'd like with it. But if this is not something you want to do, we can find adoption, we can know things. Because like I said, like like I said, I know people who waited 10 years for a child. There are people out there that, that want children, that love them, and that, that, that they need, not that they need them, but they, they have an urging for them. And they will love that child as if they brought it into the world themselves. And encouraging that aspect of, of, of that um, to help give life. You're giving life not just to this child, but to another family. 
another family who can continue their legacy as a family through that child. You're allowing another family to have life. I mean, I, I think that's the thing people fail to realize that when you kill an, a child through abortion, you're killing not only that life, but the life that could have had through adoption through another family. So essentially, it's like you're killing two lives it's from great. that aspect, you know? So, um, you know, that that's, and it's probably other ways to go about it and do it, but I would just walk, you know, encouraging my child, walking hand to hand with her, um, letting her know that she is loved, she's important, that her decision is valid, but I would, I don't think I would give her the option of, of the abortion because, again, I view life as important and I want her to view life as important as well. And I want her to heal from this. And I, once again, it goes back to the fact that I don't see anything positive coming from abortion um, because she's already been through the, the trauma of the rape. She's been through the trauma of the forensic interview and having to sit through and talk about what's happened. Because no matter what, at the end of the day, when you report, you have to talk about what happened. And that, just as, yeah, and you, that can be just as traumatic as going through it again. And so, therefore, you know, you're, that's two traumas right there you're dealing with and having to struggle with. And then you're going to throw on top of that abortion. I don't see how that's healing and helpful. So it's, it's, it's about love. It's about hope. It's about encouragement. And then letting her see, look, you may, this may be traumatic for you, but look what the good that can come from this. You've mm -hmm. not only brought a life into a world, you helped enhance a family and created a new life for that family. So I, that's how I would go about it. Well, I'm going to tell you what, man, you guys are really, uh, you know, tugging at my heartstrings here a little bit where I may feel a certain way about this, but I still do feel that there needs to be a choice. And I hate the fact that America has turned into a fucking democracy, the socialism bullshit where people don't have choices to go to work and this other thing. And I just want people to have a choice. That's all I want. And, uh, I feel like you guys really made a good argument in your favor. And the beauty of this is that we all love each other. We all agree to disagree. And if you guys are both here right now, I would give you both a big hug and then immediately wash myself in hand sanitizer because that's how, the, you know, like that's how I live my life. But I do have you both on the show and it's very rare. And this is the first time I've ever had two people on the show at once. I want to talk about religion a little bit. Can, can we do that real quick? Yeah, man. Go ahead. Why, why is Mormonism so much better than Christianity? Ah, because it was started by. <laughs> ah, here we go. All right, look. It was started by a con artist. <laughs> Joseph Smith was actually arrested in New York before starting Mormonism by being a quote-unquote treasure hunter and was arrested for for false seeing, um, uh, and, and so. I don't know if that's how you want to start. We can we can start. You know, uh, man, you're man, you're spitting some fire. Well, you know, I mean, let's put it this way: the guy found what I like to call the golden turntables because it was golden plates, as I like. So I like to imagine them as you know, golden magic discs um, by a, by a uh, uh, an angel who, and it can only be read by magic stones that no one could see forever until finally. Uh, there was the, I believe the, the three witnesses and then eventually the eight, but they were all his people. And then later when you, when you questioned, uh, Smith, uh, when you questioned, uh, Joseph Smith, he excommunicated you, especially, uh, the guy that, um, uh, talked to him 
and accused him because he proposed marriage to his wife when he was already married. So uh, once again, it goes back to the fact that, as you and I have talked before, um, religion sucks because it's humans trying to interpret God and they put their own spin on it. And so this is the same thing. It is a, a person who didn't like the religions that were out there. So he took Christianity, folded it into his own and made it his point of view. Um, and so therefore, uh, yeah, it, it, but that's the case with Southern Baptists. That's the case with Catholics. That's the case with everything. Religion um, in itself, if we're honest, is at the end of the day, um, you know, it's about um, gathering people with what they believe. Uh, we all believe the same thing. And let's all give money so that we can do this kind of thing um, and, and show that how great we are because we gave money. And the more money we give, the better we are. When, you know, I understand that it should be tied in 10 percent. And, you know, of course, there's always you can always give more. You know, there's that. Let's get that love offering. You know, to me, uh, the pastor of a church, of a religion, uh, the leaders of it should live off the 10 percent. And they should. I mean, I to me, I think some of the best pastors and ministers out there are bivocational because for them, the church isn't their source of income. They work and then they're able to still do church. And so for them, what is their focus? Their focus is their people, their focus is their job and, and providing for their family, but they still love God. And, they, and, and t- I think to me, it's more real because they're living in the world and they're doing the things of the world and they're part of that and they're showing who they can be, you know? So, um, you know, so that's where, you know, I, I, I and mean, like I said, so it's at the end of the day, any religion, I'm going to say, well, it's a person who's trying to put their spin on what God is. And we can't do that. Nobody can. Um, you know, we, we tr- we're trying to explain the world as best as possible. And that's just not the case at all. Uh, so we put it into these world purviews of how we see it. And we try to make sense of it the best way we can. Now, what's right and what is wrong? Because when you think about religion, and I've talked to you and I've talked to Bonnie before, and... Uh, like her religion has a very cool message where you can atone, you can change your mind, you have a choice. But in your religion, in Christianity, Catholicism or whatever, you're basically banished. If you don't get to heaven, you go to hell for eternity. I love her religion because you have a choice and you, you know, you walk up to this desk, you have a pamphlet where like, hey, I like this choice. I want to go here, but I want to go here. The thing is, is like, why are there so many different interpretations of what heaven and hell is like? And if there's so many different versions out there, how the hell can you put your hat or put all your coins in a hat or whatever in one religion, but shun the other one? Bonnie, I'm going to let you take it here because I do love Mormonism and it is a great religion. If I ever go religious, that's where I'm going. Um... So I think all faiths, all religions really have, are really centered on the same type of idea. They're not, I don't, and, and a lot of people in my faith view this the same way, um, is that even though we believe that our church is like the fullness of the gospel type of thing, the restored church from the church of the New Testament is what we believe um, the Mormon church is. Um, that 
all of their faiths have truth and they have goodness and they're about hope and love and all of the good things. They do have a lot of good qualities to them all. And, and, and at the end of the day, you can, you can, you can, you can criticize and you can judge uh, what religion does or doesn't do for people um, and the perspective that it has for different groups. And, and as someone that is both spiritual and, and, and religious, um, I do believe in, in the religious standard. Um, but I also believe that God set it forth so that we could build in, so we could have a sense of community, so we could have, have a sense of purpose and to, to understand um, his, his purposes and to give us direction. And also a lot of people that are religious aren't necessarily spiritual. And I think, I think that's dangerous. I think there needs to be a balance of the two um, because we are on a spiritual journey and and, and we need to we need to find a place for ourselves. And I am not going to judge anyone whether they want to be religious or not, whatever church they want to be a part of. All I honestly care about for people is that they find fulfillment and 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 true joy and peace in life. And for me, my faith does that for me. It gives me faith. It gives me peace, and it gives me hope, and it and it and it instills a purpose in me. And that's what it does for me. And I would never force my views, my faith on anyone unless, 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 unless they want to learn about what I believe, unless they want to learn um, why I believe what I believe and why I do what I do. Um, a lot of it does have to do with my faith and, and what I believe and what I believe that God does love all of us and he wants us to have a fulfilled life. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to find joy. And I think that's what this life is all about. And, and different people will find joy in different things. And I think if you find joy in your religion or your faith, then go forward. And, and if you don't, if you find joy in other things, that's cool too. I just want people to be happy and, 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 to, and to help others and to, to see that love is a problem. And that's really what it, it does for me at the end of the day. I love your religion, and the reason why I love it so much is because it does give the opportunity to atone, and you have a choice where you can be a horrible person your entire life, but have that choice in the afterlife. Same thing with Buddhism, where after like 100 years or so of being in purgatory, you can ascend and you can go to a better place. I hate Christianity because the fact that you are deemed, you know, non-essential, which is the kind of, you know, like I hate the abuse that word this podcast, but you are basically deemed to be condemned to this certain purgatory where you are in hell burning forever. And, you know, like, you know, like your soul screams in hell because you are burning in flames because you're a bad person in life. You can't atone for that. And I hate that. I really do. That's why I love Mormonism so much because you have that choice. John, you got to defend your shit, man. Well, it's, you see, my problem is that the whole thing about that is that negates the purpose of Christ coming to begin with. Because um, if if he died, you had 70 years. So what, what now makes a difference is that all of a sudden now you see it, you believe, um, oh, wait, there is an afterlife. And I have these, you know, it, it, that, that, that negates the purpose behind Christ and what he did. He made it so that we could now connect with God 
um, without having to go through a sacrificial system, without being able to have that barrier, because you couldn't talk to God beforehand. The Spirit of God did not come down um, on people as it does today, and where we can have that conversation with God when we um, connect with Him. And so um, before we see with the prophets that the Spirit would come on a person for a time period, and then it would leave. And now um, we have that direct access to God that, that was not there before. Um, and so if you had 70, 80, 90, 100 years and you never made the decision, why, why change? Then, then it's just like, well, I can die and I can go to heaven. So then what was the purpose of Christ to begin with? There is no reason then, well, I could just get into heaven because I made this choice or because I've died and now I can do whatever I want. The point is, is that we have this for two reasons. One, so that sin can be purged from us. So, the, so that from this point forward, we are now um, in Christ's eyes and in God's eyes. We are now his child forever. He doesn't see the person. He sees Christ who is perfect. And so then that gives us access to God immediately when we die. There is no longer a need for purgatory. There's no longer a need to anything else. It's you're there with God forever. You've had 70 plus years to make that choice. Um, and so um, it's kind of like uh, when we see in scripture, Thomas, when, you know, he says, I'm, I, I believe when I can stick my finger in the hole in his hand and then into his side, you know, doubting Thomas. And then of course he believes and because he sees what happens and we see it's, that's, it's the same idea. It's like, why does it take visual to believe? That is, that is, that's not faith. Thomas had no faith. You know, we had, we see other apostles and disciples believe because they had faith. And then faith is trust in the unseen. You know, do you ever check your chair before you sit down in it? Never. Never. Why? Because I know it's there. Right. And you have faith that it's going to hold you up. You know, and I think uh, I told you like, this. I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. Well, no, but here's the thing. We don't, for things that we see, but we, and we always assume we have faith in, because, for example, I mean, as I, I did this as a psychology study in college, um, we took a folding chair, took a pin out that holds it together, but it stood, and when people come to sit on it, they would fall out of it. They never check the chair. Nobody ever checks their chair, because they see the chair, they see it there, and they assume it's going to do what it's supposed to do, because once again, we see it. it it's, it's like, okay, I have faith in something. Faith is that idea of the unseen of, hey, I know it's going to hold me. It's gonna, I, I see the, the thing. Um, but in, in all actuality, in all reality, faith is that belief in the unseen. You have to have, we all have faith in something that we don't see. We don't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm on the earth because of gravity. Can you see gravity? You can see the effects of gravity. You can see the effects of wind, but you can't see the wind. Faith is that same idea. We have a belief in a thing that keeps us going forward. And so, therefore, if I see it and I have to believe it because I see it, it's not valid. It's no longer faith. It is something else. And I don't know what that is. And so the purpose of Christ coming and dying was that we could have that faith, knowing that we can have that access to God. And then when we accept him, uh, Christ is our Savior. And then when we go to heaven... We have that immediate contact with God. There's no Pasco $200. You have to wait here. You have to sit in jail. No, God <laughs> sees Christ. He sees the perfection. And he says, 
uh, hey, come on in. You know, there's no, we don't, you don't have to worry about who you were, what you were, how you did it. As long as you try to do your best, we yeah. see the sin and it's gone away. You now have access to God because he sees Christ through you. Now, you know, of course, people then say, well, what about the deathbed confessions? You have to go, why are they doing that? You know, same, to me, I equate it as the same thing as, well, if I die and there's all these heavens, you know, it's, did you really believe? Or are you just getting fire insurance? You know, if you're a known arsonist, you know that fire is going to happen. Well, we get fire insurance. Why do we get fire insurance? Why do we get flood insurance? Why do we get insurance in general? To protect from those things that we don't know that will happen. Yep. Same thing. I'm dying. I'm not sure if there's a heaven or a hell. So let me go ahead and pray and say, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm perfected. Now, it's not my job to say if that person's safe or not. It's not my job to say if they're going to heaven or not. I don't want that job. That job fucking sucks. I don't want to do that. It's not my job. My job is to live my life as best I can, tell people and live accordingly. And if they want to know, I'll tell them and I'll share my story and I'll share what God's done for me. But I live my life according to his principles as best as possible. You know, it's not my job to say, well, this person had a deathbed confession. Are they in heaven? I don't know. I'm going to tell you straight out. And if you try to ask me, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I don't. It's not my job to tell you. My job is to live my life, to tell you what happens. And it's your choice. You have the choice at the end of the day. You know, you're making that decision of what you choose or not. And like, and kind of like, um, you know, Bonnie and I said in, in Discord, you know, if no matter what, you have to believe. Even if you talk about, if I see it, I'll believe. And, you know, we both kind of agreed. Even if you see it, you're going to find a way to crap on it and you're not going to believe. You know, that, that's just your mindset. And that's okay. The best I can do is just tell you and love you, and we're still gonna be friends. And you know, when I come to marry you, I'm gonna hug you, and we're gonna we're gonna barbecue oh, it up, and we're gonna do all kinds of stuff. You know, but that's the point. Is it doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It just means, hey, that's your choice. You know, and at the end of the day, there are consequences for your choice. You know, it, 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 it we for every choice we make, there's a consequence. And remember, as we've said before, consequences isn't a bad word. It just means the result of a choice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the result of the choice in this aspect is, you know, going to hell. He doesn't send you to hell. That's your choice. You've chosen that because you chose. It, it, it's two options. Accept him, go to heaven, or don't. And you yeah. have 70 plus years or whatever to make that choice. And uh, it, it, I can't make you choose otherwise. It's, it's up to you. And so, um, and like I said, at the end of the day, um, it's, it, whatever religion you decide to go to, it's about that choice of accepting Christ as your Savior, living your life as best as possible. I mean, I do the best I can. I say dirty wordies. I mess up. I screw up. You know, my life ain't perfect. And, um, but I do the best I can. And I, to me, that is Christianity. That's life. That is, doing, that is doing the best you can. You know, Christianity isn't about being perfect. It isn't about you know, making the right choices all the time. It isn't about judging other people. You know, it's about living life, making your choices, being honest and real, and then showing how you get through those things. You know, um, that's life. That's Christianity, and that's the Christian life. It's it's never easy. It doesn't say that you're gonna life is gonna be perfect. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be blessed or whatever. It's just that you're gonna have God in your corner now, and that makes a difference. You know, so. Uh, that's that's my stance on this kind of stuff. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And Bonnie, I want to get your thoughts on this one because this is a topic that I just kind of just popped in my head here as, as John was saying his piece. Does God know 
And does he differentiate what's in people's hearts as opposed to what they say? Because some people, and and I'm going to throw this other question at you here, because Ted Bundy apparently spent the night with a pastor before he was executed in 1980, whatever the hell it was. I can't remember the date. Nerdette would know. She's not here right now, but it was like 1985 or some shit. I don't remember the exact date or year. Forgive me for that, people. Someone's screaming at the screen right now. But he spent the night with a pastor. So if he said, hey, I accept the Lord as my savior, does he go to heaven? And what happens to people? Like, does God know? That's my question to you both here. And 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 Bonnie, go first. January 24th, 1989, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, like, you're on the computer. You got the answers right in front of you. But the thing is, like, does God search your heart before he lets you in? Because let's say you lived your life as this great person, right? And you've always said God first, God first. But you did some horrible shit that would disqualify you going to heaven. Does God search your heart or does he say, well, they said the prayer, so I have to let him in. Or he said to me as the Lord and Savior, I have to let him in. How does that work, Bonnie? There are two conditions to on judgment day when you when you come before when you come before God. Right. Um, there are two conditions he judges you on the choices you make in life and the intentions of your heart. So he knows, he, Nord, he knows you better than you know yourself, okay? He's known you longer than you realize that you've known yourself. Um, so in my mind and in, in my belief, and, and I totally believe this, I believe he, he knows and understands us. He, he understands where we're going and he can see our potential. But at the same time, he is going to say, okay, well, you made these decisions, but... Um, I, I, I see, I see the intentions that you were, you, you were striving to be good. You were striving to be the best person that you could be. Now, now I will say this, um, when I, when I look at members of, of my own faith, now we believe that, um, you know, through the atonement, we, we have, we have the path and the way to go to the highest, high, highest kingdom, it's of, of, of heaven. It's called, it's called exaltation. It's the process in which we become like our heavenly father. And it's why we get married in our temples, why we believe that families are together forever. And, and, and some of the things that we do are part of that process. Um, but there will be people in my own church that do all the right things. They pay their tithing. They go to church every Sunday. They read their scriptures every day. They pray twice a day. They, they're upstanding citizens. They obey the laws. They do all of the right things, but they're just doing the motions. They're not, they're not spiritually ready for it. They're not spiritually saying, I, I, I want exaltation because there will be people that won't really, in their hearts, won't really want that. And, and that's why it's important for God to judge both your, the choices you make and, and, and where and and the intentions of your heart because there will be some people that may have done all the right things in life but probably <laughs> won't make it through exaltation because it is a really hard thing to ask of someone and not everyone is going to want to do that and and i think at the end of the day when you look at faith and you look at um you know whether you know people say whether you'll go to heaven or hell based on your choices based on 
you know, your, your life 70 years, you live 70, 80 years in, in your life, but not everyone has the same access to truth of, of the gospel of God, of, of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Not everyone has the same opportunities. And so it's not, it's not equal footing for everyone. And, and, that's that's why we believe that there is a spare world before judgment day that there is there is a chance for redemption in the next life now 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 it will probably be a little bit more difficult than doing it in this life but there is chance for redemption later on if 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 yeah you you make some wrong decisions or you're or or you don't if you if you don't have access to the truth because god wants his children to have equal opportunities in life to find the gospel, to find the truth and, and to find salvation, to, to have that within themselves and, and, and to be cleansed and to be clean and to, to have those opportunities. He wants that for all of his children, but there are millions of people that lived, you know, before the time of the atonement or, or weren't, didn't live in a, in, in a religious center or had any kind of spiritual connection really. And so that's what we believe the actual spirit world is for is to teach and to, and to have those opportunities for yourself to decide, you know, what choices do you make now that you have the truth here for you? So, and you have access to it. And, and, and that's what I think free will is all about. That's, what the war in heaven was fought over was free will. Satan wanted us to force us to be religious, force us into the gospel. But what did Jesus Christ want? He wanted us to have the choice for ourselves, to decide for ourselves. And, and the atonement helps that. It, it, it paves the way to, to having that salvation for ourselves and, and to having equal opportunities for everyone. Beautiful. John, what do you got, Bev? Well, I mean, I think, and like I said, with the with deathbed confessions, God knows your heart. You know, as, as Bonnie said, it, it is you know uh, that aspect of He knows the reasons why you do what you do, and so, um, like I said, that's why I can't say, um, yeah, that's no, He didn't. He He went to hell or He went to heaven. Um, you know, so if you let's be honest, if you make that decision to, I'm going to pray this prayer so I don't go to hell, what's your heart? Your heart isn't about the faith. It's to protect you from doing getting something bad. So you, I would have to say in that aspect, your heart isn't in the right place. So um, because, you know, once again, um, we now have this in aspect, this, this system in place uh, because it replaces the sacrificial system, being able to do good works and all those things. You were never going to make it with good works. But at the same time, faith without works is hollow. So to to show that it's the idea of if I never live my life according to the principles of Christ, how do people know? You know, uh, it, it, they don't. You know, it's something that's inside. It's an outward symbol of the inward change that's happened in me. And so by living those principles and doing those things, I'm now showing what God did for me by doing those. So that's why we have faith in works. One, uh, faith gets you into heaven. Works shows that faith. Um, and, and, and so, therefore, it's important to understand 
that we do these things for the for the reasons. And God knows um, there's the story in the New Testament of uh, a couple who gave their money to the church. They sold land and were like, yep, we, we're giving this to the church. And Peter's like, man, this is great. This is awesome. You know, because they were committed. They were when we had this piece of land. We didn't need it. We sold it and we're giving it to the church. They gave their whole thing without prompting, without asking. This was their choice. Another couple sees this. They sell land. They say they give the whole money to the church, but they don't. They see their hearts. And, you know, it says, you fools, you know, because of this, um, you know, they died. The husband had a heart attack and the woman went to hysteria. They died. Now, was the heart attack because they got found out, whatever. But the point is, is that God knows your heart. He knows why you're doing it. That's the principle of the story. It's not about, you know, that the person died or whatever. It's about the fact that God knows why you do what you do. It's about the things, you know, we also see with Peter, um, Peter in the beginning was a staunch Jewish person in the early church. The issue was, should you be Jewish to be a Christian? You know, you, you have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian. And a part of Judaism, of course, is being circumcised and, you know, you can only eat certain things. Peter, um, but you were seeing Roman citizens and other people who had contact with Christ who weren't Jewish, um, wanting to become Christian. And there was the argument of, no, you have to be Jewish first. Peter is given a vision by God that says, um, he, he shows him this vision of all these unclean animals and he get, and God says, get up and eat. And he's like, I can't, these are unclean animals. And God says, Hey, what I've made clean is clean. So he's cutting out this requirement of Jewish or not Jewish. It's about belief in God. He's removing some of these stereotypes and stigmas of this is what I believe. It's about the relationship with God. God's saying this is clean. Christ coming and you choosing to make him your savior, you're now clean. There's no other requirements than that that are needed. It is no longer an, a thing of you got to be Jewish or you have to do this or you have to do that. No, the requirements are belief in God and accepting that Jesus is a Savior, lived a perfect life, died and rose again so that we can have access to God and then living your best life. You know, and that is, you know, um, if you can find a congregation that works for you, that's a great way to connect with people and help encourage you and, and grow your faith. And then on top of that, start living those principles that are there um, that you can do. And a lot of them aren't hard. It's just don't be a jerk to people. You know, yeah. be smart, you know, um, most people can do that. Um, and and, and it, is, it is a simple principle, um, but added with the faith you receive from Christ, boy, that makes a huge difference. And it provides that hope that, you know, I don't, like I said, I wasn't concerned about the coronavirus because I, like I told people, you know, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't care. Look, if I die from this, I don't care. I know I, I know Jesus, and he's my friend, and I'm going to heaven, so I'm not worried about it. You know, I'm not, I mean, now, granted, I don't want to get on ladders because I hate heights. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to test God or tempt God. But at the same time, I don't have fears of, of things, or I'm not concerned about this because, you know, for me, death has no sway over my choices and what I want to do because I know at the end of the day where I'm going because of the decisions I made. And guess what? If there is no afterlife and I've lived a good life and I've made, left a legacy of improving the community and the people around me, what have I heard? Nothing, yeah. you know? And so therefore to me, that is 
that is the richness in life of having that faith and hope and knowing that when I go to heaven, that choice is already made. There's no getting around it. I've made my decision and I know where I'm going. I can live faithfully. Why run that? I mean, if, if you go any other route, you're, you're, you're gambling. You know, with this route, at least if, if I don't have an afterlife, at least, man, I did my best to improve my community, show the principles that are important and how to make a difference and left a legacy with my child, with my family and with everybody around me. Now, you see, I feel like there is a privilege in being a non-religious person because I'm not religious at all. Like, I am agnostic. I used to be an atheist or I didn't believe in anything. But now I'm open to the idea that there may be something because we all have to have come from something. I don't necessarily believe in the Bible and the words that were written in that book. But I do feel like I am privileged because I don't have to live my life by a certain set of rules. So, Bonnie, I want to ask you this. And then, John, I'll let you answer. What happens to people like me, agnostics, like people that are like, hey, you know what? There has to be something out there. But I don't necessarily believe in the words written in a book by people that were high on mushrooms or whatever the hell they were doing back in the day. And it was kind of like one of those. Uh, you remember when you guys were like kids in school and you had those uh, choose your own adventure books where you can like, oh, skip the page 36 if you want this person to get hurt. Turn to page 38 if you want this to happen. Like, I kind of felt like that was what was happening back in the day where people were just kind of passing stories around and no one knew what the fuck was actually happening. Do we really put much currency in that to the point where, like, that is the, you know, like, like that's what happened? What happens to people like me who are skeptical, but I try to live my life as a good person, if that makes sense? Do I go to hell because I never accepted a God as my God? Bonnie, what do you think? So my case different um, in, in how we view this, um, because we don't believe that many people will actually go to what people view hell. We call it outer darkness. And that's you have to, you know, want to be a slave to sand to want to go there. <laughs> and, and everything and you make certain decisions that gets you there um and you have to commit unpardonable sins like there's there's no forgiving certain uh things you do to get there um so you kind of have to work to get there <laughs> in, in how we believe but for people like you that um have a good heart and try to live a good life and you love your family, you're, you're dedicated, you're loyal, you're hardworking, you, you try to be the best person you can be. Now, I'm not saying you're, you're, you're going to be exalted for that because, because you probably won't be. <laughs> um, because unless you, unless you want to, unless you want to go down that path. Now, it's a very difficult path. And it's, it's not one, I think people want to choose that way and you have to make certain decisions to go down that path um but uh i think where you're gonna go you're gonna go we have three levels of heaven and you're gonna go to the second one and it's it's a beautiful wonderful peaceful place and and in my belief god wants all of his children to be saved he wants all of them to be happy and even those that are criminals and rapists and murderers they have a decent place to go to even so um and and to me 
that that's how God views his children. He wants through the atonement that makes that possible to to you know say well you know what you're not making if if you commit crimes like murder and rape and stuff i still want you to have a place that you can go that's not fire and brimstone and <laughs> you know things like that because i love you you are my child and i feel like that's how god views all of us we are his children we believe that we are his literal sons and daughters and he wants he wants us to to have a place to go to and even if we don't make the best decisions in life um there is still a place for us to go to and i find that so comforting that you know it there will be a good place for the majority of his children to go to because that's what the atonement's for it allows that to be possible. I love that part about your religion is the fact that anyone can, you know, ascend and anyone can do something and you're not condemned forever. That's one thing I hate about Christianity, the fact that you are sent to hell forever. And I don't like it because maybe someone who is a horrible person thinks maybe a thousand years of burning in a fire. Maybe like, hey, I, you know, maybe the Scott thing's not so bad. But you're still stuck in hell. You're stuck in hell forever. And the thing about life is like you're only, a, you know, like what, like 65 to 75 years old. That's the time people die. You only have that many years to live. So maybe you make the wrong choice here and there. But you are stuck eternally in hell after that. So it's like, eh, this doesn't make any sense. John, balls in your court, my friend. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I go back to what we've already said. You know, you have that choice. There's one choice to make. You know, the as the idea of being able to go, um, you know, to different heavens or whatever. Once again, to me, it negates the fact of of what Christ did. You know, of having faith, of saying these are the choices we make. You know, um, God, 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 and sin cannot mix. Period. End of discussion. As much as we want to say, even though you don't know or whatever. Sin and God can't mix. That was the purpose of Christ, and that was the purpose of the sacrificial system beforehand. Because when we were in Eden, when Adam and Eve were in Eden and sin entered, he had to separate himself from them. But he didn't keep himself away. He gave them the sacrificial system so that he could try to interact with them. And then at some point he realized this wasn't enough. So that's why Christ came. And so any other thing that is said can't happen because we already see that in the beginning if a mormon is truly going to believe what scripture says in the beginning god separated himself from sin because he cannot be with sin period end of discussion so no matter what you go to that's not heaven because you're not with god so no matter how you want to dress it up you're still in hell the only way to be in heaven is to continually be with god we see that in scripture that there is the one way the Christ way, and because of that, the the thing we get out of that from that decision is spending eternity with God. Period. End of discussion. Because there is no other way. Um, you know, everything else it it it, it doesn't compute. Uh, if you if you you know, and of course there once again goes to that aspect of God knows your heart. He knows why you're doing. There are the fruits of your labor, the reasons why you do things. And so what is the purpose behind what you do? For me, the purpose of what I do 
whether it be through the nonprofit that I work for that is technically not Christian, or when I served as, as a minister, the purpose was to edify, <coughs> pardon me, edify God in what I did. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about um, getting praise. It was about making sure that God was edified in what I did. You know, um, playing high school football and baseball, when I would get interviewed for news stories or whatever, the purpose wasn't about me. It was about talking about the team and the gifts God gave me. And I would say those things specifically because it wasn't about me. It was about the people around me that made me better and it was about the gifts God gave me to be able to do those things. That's how I live my life. That's the way I go about it. Is it the best way? Is it the right way? I don't know. It's not my choice, but I know the purpose and the reason why I do these things. Once again, because I've made that decision to follow Christ, to do what Jesus says, because I want to be able to, at the end of the day, hear the words that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. To have those words uttered to me, and then I get to spend eternity by his side because of the decisions I made. Because um, he sees me as as perfect because of what Christ did for me. Because of the decision I made. It's a choice at the end of the day. You have to believe or you don't. It, I, I, I don't know how to say it any other way than that. It's, it's, it's simple. There's no other way around it because in throughout scripture, we see where when sin enters, God separates because he cannot be with sin and it pains him to do so. It's not like he wants to do it. It's not like he enjoys it. He doesn't. But at the same time, he has to separate himself from sin. But in every instance, he finds, he gives the people a way to reconcile. Even in the 40 years of, of um, the Israelites walking through the, the desert, we see them screw up time and time and time again. They were petulant children who made the stupidest of decisions. God brings them quail because they complained about the free food they got hmm, gee sounds familiar like some of our society right and yes. so they complain about the free food they got because it's manna from heaven and then he sends them quail and then they complain about that and they make poor choices over and over again and yet he still has a way to redeem them even that stuff he separates himself from the sin but he still loves them so much he doesn't abandon them. He says, I'm going to find a way to get back to you. And yet they continue to make stupid, ignorant decisions. And he still loves them for it. I think this is the true aspect of a father. You know, we our kids will make stupid choices and we still love them. And we find a way to get them back to where they need to. And And God is doing the same thing. And then he finally says, you know what? What was what we're doing isn't working. Christ is going to come. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. It's now up to you. You have that free will of choice. And the whole time, the whole thing, everything from this point has always been about free choice. Stemming from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they had the choice. Why did he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil there? So that they would choose him over that. They did. They chose it. That was their choice. We have seen time and time again, we have the freedom of choice. It was our <clears throat> decision to choose him or not. And the rejoicing that happens in heaven 
because of our decision to choose him outweighs any party that has ever been done on this earth. It is magnificent. It is true love. It is true faith. And it is true in that aspect to Christ that this is how it's supposed to be. And so then we, I mean, for me, when I, when I made that choice, that love became apparent. And, and it was more than just my parents or the family life. There was something beyond that for me. And that's how I've lived my life accordingly. Um, and I do the best I can from it. And then from there, it's about that relationship, reading scripture, finding things of, okay, this is what God speaks to me. This is how I need to make my life, change my decision. I, you know, um, growing up, because I grew up in a hardcore conservative Christian home, I had mm -hmm. certain views because I, that's what I was taught. But as I got older, I began to realize I need to start learning things. I need to start seeing different religions, comparing them and seeing why I believe what I believe. Is there something maybe that makes a difference? Is there a reason? Why do I believe what I believe? And then compare it to those other things and look at them and go, this is okay. This is why I believe this. I see this. Yeah, that doesn't fit me. This is, this fits me. Um, okay. That's okay. I can see where this goes, you know, to where now I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a hardcore conservative Christian. I would say, you know, I'm conservative, but more moderate conservative in that aspect of it. And, um, but my faith still plays a big role in how I view things because I can't separate myself because that's who God created me to be. And that's where the decision I chose to see the world is through those, those faith eyes. So then I can see how I can best connect with people, help them, heal them. And then if they choose to follow Christ because of my actions, great. But if they don't, that's okay. If they know because of me, great. That's all I can ask for. That's all I can do. It's not my job to convert, to make you believe, to say you're going to go to hell, because that's all not my job. It's not my business. My business is just to live my life, love you, help you. And if you make that decision, great. If you don't, you know, uh, I love you still. It doesn't make a difference at all to how I'm going to view a person. Um, does it hurt me knowing eventually that if they don't make that choice, then they won't get to, I won't get to see him in heaven. Yeah, it does, but I can't do anything else. It's that person's free will and choice. And that's the thing that we have to remember. It's about free will. It's about choice. It's about what we choose now with that faith for that outcome. You know, anything else, it, 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 I mean, theologically, it, it theologically does not make sense to have multiple heavens because they're not heaven if God's not there. If we've already seen in scripture that, that, that God separates himself from sin. And because of that, anything else is considered hell. Because you're not with God because he can't separate himself. He separates himself from sin and he can't be with it. We see that over and over again. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And I appreciate your uh, perspective on it. Bonnie, do you have anything to reply to that with? Um, not really more than, than I've already said. Um, okay. just that, you know, I respect all views and I respect all opinions and, you know, I, I think there's, there's value in, 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 in all, um, viewpoints as far as this is concerned. And, you know, quite frankly, we, we don't understand everything, you know, only God does. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just, I believe that we just have to have faith in that. We have to have faith that he's guiding and directing us, that he's leading us where we need to go. And, 
and that he loves us and he's very aware of us. And it's, you know, I have faith in that. I have faith in his love for, for me, for you and for all of us that, that he is aware of us and he wants, he wants us to live a happy, fulfilled life. And, and, and that's why I believe what I do and why I do what I do, because, you know, he, he has taught me. I mean, I have experienced so many things in my life that, you know, I have felt and, you know, seen some amazing things. And to me, it just shows that he is so aware of us and he is mindful of us. And he, and that's why he sent his son to sacrifice everything because, and to make that ultimate sacrifice so that we could return to him. I've only got two more things I wanted to bring up here before. I mean, like we've gone three hours already. God damn it. We just never shut the fuck up. Don't we? Nope. Uh, <laughs> how do you guys feel about laws being predicated on religious topics? How do you feel about basically like laws being made religion? And the reason why I wanted to bring this topic up is because like, I mean, we can all break this down and we can all talk about our, our own feelings on religion and, everything else in the Bible, but we do not know if one is right, the other is wrong. We just don't know. I mean, for all we know, death is a little slice of sleep so where you fall asleep for eight hours. That could be the afterlife. We don't know. We really don't know. No one has the right answer. It's called faith for a reason because we believe in our own things and that's it. How do you feel about like laws being predicated off of religious beliefs? Do you think that they should separate the two where laws should just kind of be laws and religion is religion and that's it, like separate the two? Church and state. Go ahead, uh, Bonnie. What do you think? But, yeah, ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> well, always um, ladies. Here, here's the thing. Um, when, when, when you say that, and there are certain things that I am all for, you know, religious things being separate from state, you know, um, where the government shouldn't have a say in how someone worships or how they run their church or, or how they minister. They should have no say. But at the end of the day, there will be um, spiritual religious connections to government, to politics in some form or fashion. Because... Um, politics are downstream from culture and culture is connected to faith to religion to beliefs and um and our and and our own constitution i mean if if you look at the history of it 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 is based on judeo-christian values and principles um you know principles of freedom and self-determination um of of free will and and choosing your own path and choosing your own way and and we have we have laws and and things but we're able to own property to defend ourselves to choose whether or not we go to church and and how we how we how we worship and you know i think there needs to be a balance there but i do think that you know, government should have no say whether or not you can go to church or not. That needs to be up to 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 religions to determine this. Like, for example, this crazy pandemic, this crazy shut, shutting down of, of all churches, I think is ridiculous. My church chose to shut down. It was voluntarily done before this whole shutdown of religion took place. And I think 
churches need to have that option and choice and not be forced to close or you'll go to prison if you don't. That That's so unconstitutional. That's against what our founders believed in and why they left England in the first place <laughs> um, and why they wanted their own country and to have a free country. We are the freest country in the world, or we were a few months ago. Um, and so I believe that that needs to be separate in a, in a lot of ways because, you know, government, and if you look at a lot of politicians that are making all of these decisions, they are not religious, they scorn religion. And they are using their own feelings and their own opinion of church to dictate whether or not we can go to church or not. I feel like the Bible's very manipulated when people want to fit their own agenda, they use the Bible and they twist the words of the Bible and they put their own twist on it just to get people to follow because God forbid you don't follow the Bible, you know, like you are a horrible person. So that's just how I feel. I feel like the Bible is the most misconstrued book in the entire planet because people will use that book and they will twist the words and they will do whatever the hell they have to do to fit their own agenda. And man, like I really wish that there was just separation of all of it. Like, don't talk about the Bible when you talk about <coughs> biblical prophecies or whatever the hell you have to talk about. Like, don't talk about the Bible and talk about policies for the government and all other kind of stuff because it just doesn't make any sense. And I wish they were separate because we are alive. We're people. We want to work. We're being shut down. And I don't know, man. I don't know where the fuck I'm going with this. I'm, I'm just aggravated. I hate life right now. And yeah, John, take it, buddy. Well, you know, I think if you if you look at scripture and you say, okay, well, these are the laws that are in place. Um, they're just general life life lessons in general. Yeah. The Code of Pomerati predated scripture, and there are similar things in there that are in scripture. So what's what's that? It's basically guidelines of how not to be an asshole. Really, yep. if you stop and think about it. So. Uh, can you truly ch separate church from state if these rules you know, are just basically life lessons in general? I would say no. But at the same time, you know, it's that idea of this is the country we live in where you have that foundation um, you know, of the idea of they got their idea from, of certain things from Scripture. Now, um, you know, historically, we see that that reason was because you know, England was limiting people on their religious choices. And the idea was, we're going to come to this place and let freedom ring and let things happen. Um, as according to, we're going to let people worship as they choose and live as they choose. And yes, we are the most free country in the world, but look at the amount of laws we have for that freedom. You know, yeah. so think about that. If we're the most free country in the world, look at the amount of laws we have to govern that freedom. You know, um, uh, as the freest country in the world. So think about, you know, so that, what does that mean? If we're the most free, what are other countries like? How many laws are in place for that? You know, I liken it to our freedom. Uh, if we were truly free, it'd be, I don't know if you've seen that, that viral video going around of if women weren't in charge of, you know, there to help control men or whatever. And it's like, guys are going to work hanging on to the bottom of helicopters and cars are flying upside down and it's just a complete mess, you know. <laughs> You know, if, 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 if we were truly free in that aspect, that's what life would be like. You know, I mean, let's be mm -hmm. honest. Um, so there has to be laws in place. Where do they come from? 
um, we tend to fall back on those things that we understand. Religion has that aspect of how to live life. Um, but once again, it comes from other places. You know, there are other things in place that they pulled from, Code of Hammurabi and other things. So, uh, you know, at, can we say what's religion and what's not? It's when we use, and, and of course, I hate it when people do this because I get mad at it, um, when people use their faith, their religion, and the Bible as a force field or as a shield. I can yeah. do this because of this. You know, I mean, I mean, my mom and I were talking this weekend about, you know, she was uh, one of our, our family's best friends, Mr. Mike, he, about 10 years ago, he died. And, um, you know, he, he had a rough, you know, I mean, towards the end it was rough. Um, and his wife, Miss Margie, we had known, we, we still are friends with these people. They're, you know, their kids are friends with us, best friends. You know, they come up every year. We have like a reunion type thing. It's amazing. We, we would go to their place sometimes and we would always go to Papacitas. And Sunday was always Shipley's Donut Sundays where Miss Big Mike would go get Shipley's Donuts and all the kids, we would have Shipley's Donuts you know, in the morning. It was just a great family thing that we do. Just all kinds of random funny stuff. We go on crazy trips and uh, stuff like that together. Um, and it was one of those things that no matter when we got together, something memorable happened. We talked about it all the time. Like just, you remember this? Yeah, you remember this? I mean, that kind of family. And so Big Mike passing was was, was huge for all of us. Um, and so when he was in the hospital and he was struggling, my mom went down to care with Miss Mar Margie, his wife. And her brother comes in and starts, you know, well, I'm a pastor and I can do what I want. And I'm going to come in there. And I'm going to pray over it. You know, using Jesus as a force field. Yeah. And of course, my mom, the good Southern Christian woman that she is, she says, you are not stepping foot in that room. And don't think I won't take you down if you will. Because I'm not, it's not about you at this point. You're doing it for you. You're not doing it for them. They don't need that right now. Margie doesn't need that. And this is her brother. And my mom, and now mind you, my mom is pretty much me, but in female form. She's about five six. She's probably about one thirty, and she will whoop anybody, you know. And so she's bowing <laughs> up on this dude and telling him, you know, look, you're not using Jesus as a four. He she starts quoting scripture at her that he's a minister and he has access to you know, hospitals and he can do whatever he wants. And she starts quoting scripture right back at him and says, guess what? You take a step towards that room, I'll put you on your ass. Don't worry, don't think I won't, you know. And so, and my mom will do it too. Oh. Trust me, my mom is not a woman you mess with. I mean. And so, it, but the point of that was, is this dude was using scripture as, and his faith as a force field. And then later apologized for it. And now, because, you know, like, and I tell the story because last week my mom was there because Miss Margie had eye surgery and she spent the week with her 10 days taking care of her and helping her as she was going through that. And she's done that for other surgeries and things that she's had. And he now thinks that my mom is the greatest person in the world because he truly, he sees that she loves Miss Margie and cares for her kind of like in that moment in that hospital. It wasn't about him and it wasn't about that moment. It wasn't about, the, they didn't need that at that moment. They needed something else because she was dealing with all this stuff. But sometimes ministers and people get so caught up in their crap and their force fields of I'm Jesus, whatever. That's not what we were called to do. We were called to live life and comfort people and do what is, what is asked and to listen to people. You know, you're not listening when you're saying, well, I can do this because this is what I want to do. It's not about you. You didn't even ask them if this is what they wanted you to do. No, mm -hmm. you're going in there to show off. Once again, it goes back to the heart thing. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose behind it? It was to make him feel better and to show off. It no. wasn't about the family and what they needed at that moment. And that's, that's not what they needed. And it took my mom step, stepping up and saying, I'll put you on your ass if you go in there. 
um, you know, and knowing she'll do it, you know, I mean, it, to get him to, you know, get, and that's not what we are called as Christians to do. And so um, all this is to say that, yes, we, we have some aspects of some form of religion in our laws, you know, but at, once again, it's that idea of they came from places before about just how to treat each other, how to not be jerks to each other. Mm-hmm. But we can't uh, use faith as a force field and as a shield to go, well, this is why we need to do it. Blah, blah, blah. No, that's not the purpose behind it. It's not to bat- browbeat someone into that position. It's about to show love, compassion, and what God truly wants for people. Well, too many people use it as a man. And, uh, oh, yeah. I do have one last question before we plug our shit and take this thing home because we've gone over three hours, man. I don't know if you guys realize this, but we've gone over three hours. But I, I do have a quick question for you guys because, like, this is a stupid question, and I want to end this thing on a light note. What happens to animals in both of your religions? Because, like, I have two dogs that I love so much. If my dogs die, do they go to heaven or hell? Because they don't have a choice. Do they go to heaven or hell? Bonnie, I'm going to ask you first. Do we have control over where they go as human beings because, like, they're our pets? Or do the dogs get that same choice? Or our, 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 our cats or fish? What happens to pets? Well, I believe they're creatures of God, created by God. So they will have a heaven to go to. It's that simple. So, so your pets, that when they die, you will see them again. I, I believe that. So it's as simple as that. There's... It's not a complicated issue, I don't think, at least for me. That's why I wanted to end this one on this question, because I thought this would be a nice, easy one just to get it out there. But what if your dog's a real bastard? Like, what if your dog's like a pit bull that just attacks people for no reason? Do they go to hell? (laughs) Well, since it's an animal that probably reacts on certain factors that we don't understand. God understands it because that dog is his creation right so it's it's not it's not an answer i know because i am not god and i don't i don't understand what what it's like to create a a creature as a pit bull for example but uh he understands and he his understanding is perfect and he he has i totally believe he has a place for dogs even when they go rabid or when they you know, react to certain situations because most of the time it's on instinct. It's 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 an animal instinct. There's nothing that they, they don't have, you know, brain capacity or mental faculties like we do over what is right or wrong. Um, so, you know, they don't they don't have the the type of of awareness that human beings do. So they're not as accountable as human beings are. If that makes sense. No, that makes plenty of sense. Different rules for different species. John, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say they don't they don't have accountability, you know. So I view it as, um, you know, a, a baby or a child below a certain age dying that wasn't able to make a choice because they don't have the cognitive understanding to make that choice. Um, so uh, at the same time, I don't think that... Um, you know, like you said, it's a creature god. Uh, an animal behaving the way it is is because of how it's trained. It's instinct. It's not a choice it makes. Um, you know, uh, those aren't, it's, you know, if a dog bites a person, it's not because of a choice it makes. It's either by the prey this person is trained 
or the dog felt threatened and it was cornered. Those are the choices it makes. It's based off instinct. And so in that same aspect, um, I think they'll be in heaven, but not necessarily in the sense because they earned it or anything like that. I think it's just because dogs are great and they're going to belong in heaven. Snakes will be in hell. Cats will probably be in hell because they're of the devil. They're um, evil. They're, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they'll eat you if you die within you know, whatever. <laughs> so they're, they're terrible creatures uh, to get. So dogs will be in heaven with us because they're just the best animals ever. Yes. Yeah, so like, you know, uh, but it, I don't see it as like, oh, that's my dog. I just think it's going to be like, there are dogs here. This is great. This is wonderful because, you know, heaven is awesome and that's where God is and he loves dogs too. That's why he made dogs. Um, as I stare at a picture of a German Shepherd calendar in my office um, with my two beagles at home. I love dogs. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the same thing. Will it hurt when they die? Yes. I mean, I've thought about that. But at the same time, it's not like they're going to go to heaven and I'm going to see Baxter for, you know, or Jakar or Jarvis. Those are actually the names of my dogs. Um, uh, I, do, I do know that if I have another dog, his, his name will be Roscoe. So I, I've already kind of determined that one. Um, because... Dukes of Hazard, they're great. Um, oh, good job. So, yeah. And so, uh, but, you know, so for me, I think it's just going to be that aspect of what dogs represent. Dogs represent loyalty and unconditional love, um, you know, to me. And so that, which is, I think dogs are a small glimpse of what God really is, you know, uh, of that, that manifestation of God's spirit here on earth, um, of that loyalty and uh, unconditional love, um, you know, those, those dogs represent that. And um, so, like I said, it's not like it'll be our dog. It's, it's not going to be because they don't have a soul. They don't have ability to make choices and things like that. It's just that they are creatures and that's what's going to be in heaven because they represent who God is, you know, um, and, and, and that aspect of it. So when I see a dog, I see a glimpse of God because of that loyalty and that unconditional love. And when I come home and the fact that my dogs, you know, will just, you know, go crazy because I'm home and they'll, you know, spend 20 minutes wanting me to pet them and love on them and stuff like that uh, because I've been gone all day. And, you know, when I, or um, when I sit down, they'll come sit at my feet because they love me and they don't, you know, they don't care that I smell or, or stink because I was outside, you know, doing chores this morning and weed eating and blowing and doing yard work and stuff like that. And then cleaning the bathroom. They don't care. They come, they want loves and show you love and, and, and stuff like that. And to me, that's a glimpse of who God really is. He doesn't care who you are, what you've done, what you look like, how rich or powerful you are, how poor you are. He loves you as you are. He doesn't expect you to come up and meet him. He wants to meet you where you're at. And that's what dogs do. And yeah. um, and if we can't equate those things, and if we can't go, you know what, that's God, and that's what God wants for me, then we're never going to truly understand God, you know, so. I don't think I will ever err on the side of there is a God, but I will never is not one. I'm agnostic, man. Like, I am very open to both sides of the argument, and that is why I am very appreciative that both of you guys have decided to come on the show today. And this is very hostile waters, man. Like, you know, this religious thing, like we go off sometimes and I appreciate both of you, man. Like we've gone about three hours and 15 minutes, which is a lot longer than all three of us probably wanted to go here. And I appreciate you guys for being great sports here. Let's keep going. I'm good. Let's go. Let's go, baby. Hey, man. <laughs> listen, all day long. listen, 
Listen, the thing is, is like you've been on three times. She's been on twice now. And I would welcome you both on multiple times because I do love you both. And I sincerely say that from the bottom of my black heart that I love both of you guys. And uh, I appreciate both of you for coming on the show today. And uh, the thing is, like, you have to be cognizant of your listeners. And three hours is a long time to listen to a podcast. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So please come hey. back again. I'm at, least guaranteed, okay. I'm at least guaranteed four for when the wedding happens. So there we go. <laughs> well, I mean, four if you include the clapping session after the I do's. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> so please plug your shit, Bonnie. Plug your stuff because you have a great couple of podcasts that you do and a blog as well. Um. Well, yeah. So my blog is addictedtoromance.org. Um, and all my social media and stuff is on there. So connected to all of that. And then I have my Joy and Becoming podcast, a spiritually minded podcast. And then I have my Steeped in Romance podcast where I just talk books and, and you know, do buddy reads with uh, different podcasters and, and different things. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me at. I'm very upset that you've never asked me to be on that. Which one? <laughs> any of them you never have to be on any podcast I'm so upset I'm okay, so I would love to hear you on a romance book podcast oh my god yeah you want to read a romance with me really? I would love to do it I should be on the cover of some of these goddamn things I'm a very handsome gentleman who yeah, would know but here's who the thing know? you don't work out so do you have are you built without working out well I'm built in some areas but John what do you got buddy before we get too crazy well, you know, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at jreezyman. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, John Enright. Um, if you got questions, I'll answer them. Uh, if you just want to talk and whatever, sports, wrestling. Uh, uh, you Ew. know, I did, I did, I did make an appearance on the Wednesday locker room as the crowd, so that was fun. Uh, thanks to shout out to Bello for that and uh, Billy Ray Valentine. They they were awesome. That was a lot of fun. And welcome back, Jargo, for that moment. Um, and then, you know, just uh, I, I continue working uh, for Freedom House here in Weatherford, Texas. Uh, we're an agency that helps victims of uh, sexual assaults and domestic violence um, in the area here. And uh, it is a it's a serious thing that happens. And, um, you know, we've been in our community for 20 years and have been able to help so many people. But yet things happen like uh, a week or two ago, a woman was a victim of domestic violence. Her accuser got out, got a gun killed her and then killed himself, you know, and, um, you know, uh, there, that was in our community here. Um, you know, so we advocate for even laws changing and making things happen in that aspect of, um, you know, he should have been detained for longer. There was a protective order in place and it was not enforced. Uh, even though he, it appeared his guns were taken away, um, one was still uh, available, you know, and I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, Pro 2A, so I'm not saying, you know, we need to take everybody's guns, but at the same time, when something like that happens, you need to make sure you're doing your job and making sure guns are taken in that aspect, especially when there's been a history of violence and abuse. So, you know, there's advocacy that we can do and even in that aspect of it uh, for our agency. And then, of course, my program is called Crossroads, and we help uh, teens um, by being preventative in that aspect. Uh, we don't want them to be victims. So uh, we teach things like healthy relationships, um, how to make good life choices. We teach life skills. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks here, in the next, either this week or next, 
we'll be opening our program back up so kids in the area can start attending again um, because, you know, um, we, we want to be able to provide that help for our community. Um, and, you know, for last semester or last year, last school year, being able to go into the schools and talk anti-bullying for six weeks um, was a very cool thing as well. So being able to do those kind of things, uh, be a part of our community, make it a little bit better, um, you know, that's our goal, uh, especially helping teens because they are our future. They're the ones who are going to be making important decisions um, and um, help them to see the importance of it. And of course, especially the kids that maybe would not get that opportunity um, or have a way to connect because they, um, you know, because of their situation. And so to prevent that, we want to prevent that by providing those opportunities for them. And so that is why we exist. So. No, it's incredible, man. And thank you for sharing that. And uh, like I said, man, I love you both. You guys are great people. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, and I'm going to be on Body Show. I need to be on Body Show just for the fun of it. Uh, hey, yes, we should. We should hey, do that. Next time, hey, nerd, next time she's on, I want you to ask her about Sophie, okay? Oh, my goodness. We will definitely do that. And I hope you guys, and I will hold you both to it. Please come back on the Voices of Misery podcast because that's what this thing is all about. Just having different opinions and talking and leaving the show, agreeing to disagree. That's what this thing's all about, man. And more people yeah. need to learn our lesson. Yeah, I agree. So I love you both, man. And uh, thank you for coming on the Voice of Misery podcast. I'm going to cut this thing up and fix it and do all sorts of things and put it up there. We love you, man. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, right. everybody, for listening to this episode. Love you, brother. Yes, it is I, Bin Hameen, commanding all of you to join the wrestling revolution, the underground of media, and follow our brothers at Voices of Misery on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast because they support hackerhameen.podbean.com and you will go support voicesofmisery.podbean.com because there is no more misery when you leave those FM Mark channels and you join the media underground of Voices of Misery and hackerhameen.podbean.com. Rise and praise, y'all. <laughs>